Ula umperno agravia fans. Uh, for the for those using the common tongue, uh, I'm trying to keep it together. This is the second uh, time of recording. Well, I didn't actually record the first time. I was having a nice chat with Darren, and I didn't press record. And that's only happened once before with Darren. It's he's not a common denominator in this. It's just by fluke I didn't press record. Just when Darren's on, I don't know what it is. But yes, sorry. Welcome to One Foot in the Podcast with your host Tom returning. Yet, like I mentioned, Darren. Um, how are you, Darren? You well? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'm well. I'm uh, yeah, a bit more cheered up <laughs> now since the uh, the second area we made to me distracting you. It might be the firework we needed. You know, it was probably um, yeah. The, I don't know. The the vibe might be even even better than it was. But I hope you're all comfortable back home tuning into this episode. It's going to take a well longer to talk about this one than normal. So this will be a, a two parter. Um, I think, it, like I said, it, sorry, Darren, I use the same joke here. This will take longer to talk about than the McKendrick twins to complete a loft conversion. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Darren. Um, everything, like I said, is a bit ad hoc for this production, so it will almost certainly be a two-parter. Anyway, this for me is definitely one of the top two or three episodes for me. It's the one I watch most frequent. One of the few British sitcoms films that have gone to the big screen that has been a success. I think it's the highest viewed episode, even higher than very last one foot in the grave episodes things aren't simple anymore and we're here to talk about Argarve. it's full of full of subplots one foot in the grave on the big screen it's not quite the big screen it wasn't aired at a cinema but you know a feature length there's not many british comedies that had huge successes when they transfer from a 30 minute to a, say a 90 minute with the exception of i think dad's army the movie in the early 70s i think for me i loved miami twice from only fools but for some reason a lot of people don't a lot of fans aren't too uh did, in, um, into that episode but i actually loved it did you oh, like it was brilliant yeah did rise and damp do it as well i'm sure they did um a film version of it i don't know i didn't watch rise and damp no i'm not a massive fan but i'm sure i've seen it's one of the one of the sitcoms mm. that did that and they sort of just rehashed a lot of the old the old footage and um you know the old material but yeah, yeah no, definitely miami twice that's one of my favourites. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I guess this is technically the end of series four, though some might just simply count as a standalone episode as it was aired. Um, was it Boxing Day 93, did you say? Yeah, so I had a quick sort of research. Yeah, Boxing Day 1993. So I guess not really associated with series four. I think the Comet Relief episode that was released before that, shortly after series four in March of that year, this is definitely, yeah, probably would say a standalone. Um, and it's not really connected on any continuing storylines other than the reason why Jean is going abroad is divorced her husband. So I guess the, there is a form of storyline that's continuing. So I don't know why he said that. This is the first time we see, the second time we see them go on holiday. Or was it maybe the third? The, the first episode is when, uh, I think, the end of series one, when they're getting in the, not the seri- end of Series 2 even. Is it Athens? In Luton Airport, no one can hear you scream. They've come back from Athens. So we haven't yeah. seen the holiday. We've seen the aftermath of the the, the airport looking a bit droll. Uh, we see them in warm champagne, them come back from holiday. We don't know where. It might be in the coast somewhere. And of course, uh, one foot in, oh no, Love and Death. They went to stay with Vince and April in the B&B. Oh, yeah. And of course, <laughs> now that. we're properly seeing them go on holiday. And I think it's the right time in the series to evolve the characters even even more so outside of their comfort zone, if you like. So should we crack on with Wolf and the Algarve at long last? 
So Darren and I may do a lot of um, comparisons with Jonathan Creek throughout this episode in particular. But notice that there aren't any opening credits. It's just a lovely... Well, I guess, first of all, it does add to the realism of this being a movie and, and not you know, being separated from pre- previous episodes and specials. Um, it's just the, the view, you're thinking about at the bottom of the sea, looking up to this glorious, yeah, sea of blue and the sun uh, rays shining down. And then, of course, uh, a lovely, it's just a lovely underwater shot, isn't it? With a um, quite yeah. a beautiful young lady doing the breaststroke yeah. um, across our screens. <laughs> um, Claire Porter. Did you, I, I don't know, this is the actress who's the swimmer, and I looked her up, and to my surprise, she, she died in 2016, oh, and she was okay. only 51, which is a bit, uh, well, it's quite sad. I can't find any more information on that. Um, a few roles she played in her career, but I don't know what the cause of death was, but sadly, she, she passed away. Well, anyway, this is quite the opening scene, really, and we've already referenced a death, so keeping to the theme of the, tu- uh, of the show. There's quite a the sunny English countryside feel in this opening scene is a, uh, a beautiful view of a countryside mansion. It's like a huge outdoor swimming pool, somewhere idyllic, I'm sure. Um, you have to tune into the fact this is not somewhere in Portugal, like I, I did the first few times of watching uh, this episode as a young lad. Um, yeah, I did the same thing. It was only yeah. the, the sort of chimneys and the thatch roofs and the background, I thought, yes, not Portugal. <laughs> and, then, and then the fact later on, we obviously see them, yeah. Peter Cook, his character, go, yeah. go to Portugal. Um, yeah, huge actor symbol. Um, I love the music playing. It's very, it's very 90s, isn't it? I don't know what that yeah. instrument is that's playing. That's sort of, it's quite a sensual sort of tune, isn't it? It's no lyrics yeah. to it. Is it um, it's not clarinet, is it? It's like just sort of similar to... Cross between a, a trumpet and a clarinet. I don't know. I've not been in a wind band to have ever to know, but yeah, I like it. it. It sets the scene nicely. So this this beautiful blonde is um, taking a swim, and she she gets out and she's drying herself down. Uh, she's not she's not a named character, is she? She's just someone there to set the scene nicely for the basically the she's quite central to the plot if you think about it for one of the characters that will be introduced to but never, never named. This blonde young lady, she's about to, she's crouched down on her sunbed. The camera is sort of behind the sunbed, isn't it? So we're getting just a, a point of view shot of if you were stood behind. Quite a clever angle, isn't it? The way they clever. It's a clever they angle. It. Yeah, she looks like she's just, she's, she's taken off her bikini bra. Quite disappointed as a young boy that I didn't get the full shot, if I'm being honest. If I'm being <laughs> crude for a minute, I'm really sorry, but <laughs> felt quite robbed <laughs> of this probable glorious sight of the lady's breasts, but... um. I think we do see breasts <laughs> later on in the episode, actually. So, no, anyway. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. Sorry to be smutty, everyone. So she lays down, and within a few seconds, a hilarious, unexpected pair of manly manly arms sort of stretch out either side of the sun lounger. So to us, the viewer, it's a bit of a simple, yet clever, not camera trickery, but leading us down the wrong path. So she's laying on top of some some hunk she's with. He's got these big good old hairy muscly arms and the swimmer girl shall we say is now very much got her paws into this unseen chap and we just always see it we don't see him and we don't see the for now they're i don't know what phrase to use but they're very they're getting on well aren't they let's let's face it we hear a few very well yeah i think they met before yes i think this isn't the first date i don't think no (laughs) Um, i think this is going really well 
it's going really well for for, for, for him <laughs> anyway i gotta say though like you know obviously i mentioned time and time again that my my grandparents got me into one foot and this wasn't the most comfortable scene to watch because i uh, i had I seen agree. this for some reason, they would put this particular episode on quite a lot. You know, the camera pans up away from the uh, the pleasurable sounds these two are making to the sight of a, a huge, uh, glorious-looking tree overlooking the garden. We can hear what we assume to be somebody taking several photographs to a sudden... Uh, well, suddenly we, we, we hear a sudden crash fall and, like, a humorous scream. And, and you can you can just about make out a... Well, they've used the dummy to... Be, to fall down from the top of the tree to the bottom it's basically like a peep what you seem to think is a peeping tom to start with but it was an amusing moment because this person will we'll learn is pete the is peter cook the uh, the legend that is peter cook so he is peter, peter. he's he's definitely the star of the, the show isn't he yeah um uh, martin trout i love the name as well martin trout is is martin the trout. is the it's the perfect name because I'll, I'll be I'll be referring to him as Trout throughout this episode. Funny prop that has been used, like, like stiff as stiff as a board kind of dummy, just pushed out. I'm surprised that Ren went there because he's very on point, isn't he, with with all the finer details. It just didn't. It is funny because it looked ridiculous. They obviously they don't they wouldn't even use a stuntman for that. I don't think. Or well, they might have done, but it looked for me a, that was clearly a dummy. It's uh, just like a dead drop, isn't it? I mean, there's no <laughs> there's I no mean, limbs was... going everywhere. No, you try and reach for the branches, wouldn't you? But it's just it's just like a dead body going through the trees and it's in the ground. This momentary interrupts the lovers. The blonde looks up very abruptly and we we still do not see this man that she's on top of, but the the, you know, the blonde lady, she looks up and then immediately looks back down at her lover and basically gets back down to business. What we see is her taking off his sock by use, the use of her teeth. Firstly, it's obviously that an opinion here, but it's a bit, bit weird and not sexy, but it could be for some. And secondly, who there wears socks um, by the <laughs> pool in that weather, unless you've got a foot condition? And even... If he has got a foot condition, her mouth ever so close to his stinky, sweaty feet. But yeah, she seems like a right man-eater, doesn't she, in that, in that scene? I, I like the grey sort of old man socks as well. That's what I thought. They did. They looked really dated even for... I mean, yeah. let's assume that bloke's in his 40s at the most. Um, he's wearing old man socks there. The next that we do actually see, Peter Cook. Sadly, passed away a couple of years after this was filmed. It feels like there's a bit of a jinx of, of uh, those starring in one foot as a one-off. I think there's... Two, there's two characters now inside one scene out of three who've died prematurely. So that's quite a lot already. Um, there's a few more actually in this episode. I was going to say, I think we'll come back to that, that yeah. thought a bit, a bit later. Dark, on. Yeah, sadly. Um, I know a lot of characters in One Foot in the Grave, they might have had a one off appearance or so, but they, they've either only appeared in a few things since One Foot in the Grave or they've just passed on quite soon after um so it just seems to be every time i review an episode i look up on imdb who's with us and who isn't and more of them not sadly they're not with us apart from the core of the characters the the, the actors who start thankfully they're all, all still with us yeah frankly it does amaze me though when you think when did they start 1990 mm, and you yeah. think the two well the two main characters are still alive and yeah. then they were seen as elderly yeah uh, it's like 2020 and they're still alive. You wouldn't believe that if someone had said to you at the beginning, would you? You wouldn't have, no, there's no way. Yeah, 30, like 30 years time, they'll still be with us. Yeah, yeah, it's um, remarkable. Peter Cook, I'm not, I, I see Peter Cook as a legend for being in this episode, but I, I haven't, I know he's known for stage acting and he's a writer as well. And what do you, do you know what Peter Cook's been in? What, have you watched anything that he's starred in or written? Well, it, I know he, I think he started 
mid 60s i think with um a similar sort of like monty python sort of vibe but i think mm. it's a bit more a bit more sort of intelligent that sort of thing but yeah um i know he did obviously peter cook and dudley moore they did the um the sketch shows and things yeah. like really intelligent actor like every interview i've ever seen him on yeah he's, he stands out you know he's, he's so witty so quick i know when i first watched this i didn't put him together because he's peter cook is he's always quite tall and thin mm. and you see him in this he looks quite ill i mean he's, he's He's, on a lot of weight. He's got the the, the Charlie Chaplin moustache. He's yeah. got quite red in the cheeks. He's got like red wine cheeks and the blood pressure yeah. cheeks. Like he didn't look a well man. Um, I know he did. I think a few divorces and things like that. And I think mm. he, alcoholism and yeah. And it doesn't. He was a happy chappy, but no. um, but vastly you know talented and intelligent man. Very um, well respected. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, probably a bit before our time, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gentlemen in our thirties. Yeah, this I, <laughs> I I I respect for the the work he's done. It's um, he's been a Supergirl, Yellow uh, Yellow Beard, Bedazzled, acting uh, Princess Bride, Princess Bride even. Mostly known for his, he's a very intelligent stage actor as well. So I think he. Yeah, is, I think he's he's more sort of. I I don't think I've seen many films of of him, but he tends to write really clever sketches like a, i've seen the sketch with um i think it's tarzan with a, ma- a man's going for um, an audition to play tarzan and he's got one leg oh and, and they th- i think he says something like i've nothing against your left leg the problem is neither of you <laughs> i think he's, he's quite you know that sort of witty he actually sketches. he's got that much respect that i think he he didn't use uh renwick's dialogue word for word he ad-libbed <laughs> a bit and Renwick is usually a little bit funny about that, but I think he generally thought Peter Cook's alternatives of yeah. certain phrases were, were funnier. So uh, that's yeah. quite interesting. So Martin Trout, um, he's, he's now sat on the floor. Um, a, a bit of a, to say the least, a huge drop. He, he looks a good 50, 60 feet up in the air uh, when he when he was in the tree. You can only assume he's had a few branches, um, shrubbery, sort of soften the blow. And he's on the very old-fashioned-looking mobile phone. Hello, this is office, please. Well, tell him it's Martin Trout. Well, he may not be quite so busy. Hello? Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, the lot that works. Him and her together, yeah. No, no, uh, by the pool at her place in the country. Yeah. Tongues in a reef knot. Yeah, at one point he was just there. That's his toe and nose. Yes. Look, this is thermonuclear. Perfumo doesn't come into it. He's taken some photographs and he's confirming, so I think he might be on the phone to some uh, editor of a major newspaper. And he's keen to report that he's managed to capture him and her together. And apparently this is, like I said, this is her by the pool, so... It's, like I said, it remains a mystery who the gentleman was, but we are t- to assume it's some big cheese, could be the prime minister, some film star. Always had in my head, it was, was it Royal Family? They suggested it could be. Oh, like Prince Charles or something? I think cause at the t- I think in the early 90s or late 80s, wasn't there um, a bit of a scandal about toe sucking? Mm. Sorry to bring it down. That's no, that's okay. That rings a bell. That rings a bell. It could be linked. I think to. I thought it just sort of hinted at that. Was it royal family? Because he's. I think he says later he's going to blow the country wide open. Yeah, or something. and would, would people care if it's a film star? Not so much. Mm. Prime minister, maybe. Royal yeah. family member, almost certainly. I'm just going to no, Google. That's... My Google history is dodgy enough. Toe sucking <laughs> royal family. I'm sure, there is some sort of. Sarah Fergie, oh, Fer- yeah, Fergie. I was going to say, I want to say Fergie, yeah. Oh, God. 
toe-sucking saga, yeah. Why Sarah Ferguson blame Princess Diana for toe-sucking? Sarah Ferguson, who's caught up in the... Let me just... I'm just going to read this out for um, everyone's <laughs> for amusement. So, Darren, your your theory could well be right. It could be Renwick taking the mick a bit. So I've, I found a, an article on The Express, and the headline is Why Sarah Ferguson blamed Princess Diana for toe-sucking debacle. Uh, Sarah Ferguson was caught up in a scandal in 1992, so this is 93 this came out, in her now infamous toe-sucking scandal, and the Duchess of York held Princess Diana responsible for tipping the paparazzi off about her whereabouts for the bombshell photographs, according to royal experts. This just sounds like it's a homage to that, isn't it? I thought it was. I don't know why even... How old was I when they came out? I think it was about 11 or 12, but I think it was about 14 when I saw it, yeah. and that just stuck in my head for some reason. I thought it was linked. Um, that's why I always thought that was a member of the royal family. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm just going to go with that. I, I, I think that's right. I always thought it was just this mystery that was fun to not know. Um, Especially the the bit with the feet, you know, and the grey socks. That might just give it away, yeah. <laughs> Why is Martin Trout assuming they're at her place? Because this unnamed man, he might own several properties. It's what he's, it's what, it's how he words, what he words on the telephone. So from a story writing point of view, it would have made sense if he just said his place, but anyway. And I love how the phrase he used, tongues in a wreath knot. Uh, at one point, he had a toe up a nose. It's just the way he delivers his lines is just marvellous. And apparently, this is just some hot storyline. Like you said, it's going to blow the country apart. He's, he's a happy man. He's going to make some serious money out of this. We, we, we will learn. So it's not the longest scene ever, but it's set up um, one of the plots for this, for this episode. The scene finishes now, so we're at Victoria Station. For some reason, when I first watched this, I always thought this was an airport until we see the trains um, leave. Eventually, talk about it in a moment. But this is a, a busy train station. Martin Trout is now holding up a queue trying to find his ticket. He's, he's quite chirpy uh, and upbeat. So after all, he does um, say he's earned himself 100,000 quid, which I was nerdy enough to look up on an inflation calculator. And that's about 205,000 pounds. So it's, it's just more than double. Um, so to, to showboat to the slightly bemused woman behind him, he casually slips what I think is a cigar holder in a top pocket. Maybe with a cash say, yeah. She doesn't Less seem to respond. Yeah, she doesn't seem to respond to the random gesture, but he just sort of grabs her cheek, doesn't he? Not her ass cheek, but her face cheek. Yeah. Sort of very <laughs> cheekily. Um, yeah, he's, he's, been, he's held them up, but uh, he's now on a payphone. I wonder if that was in the script, that cheap grab. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's adding little bits in because of the amount of respect he's gained in his career, uh, which Renwick has spoke about many a time. But he, yeah, he's now on the on the payphone due to his mobile phone uh, battery. He did mention that his phone has has died, so this is why he's now at the station. He's in dispute with the editor John. I think he says sounds like only. 80,000 quid has been offered, not the full 100. But he does say, he says something like to his editor, look, we, we said 80 grand up front, 100 grand if it checked out okay. So I don't know why he's complaining the 80 grand, because he needs to see the, the, the photo evidence, doesn't he? I think that's how I took it. But nevertheless, he's just a little bit short with him about the idea of not getting the full, full amount. This is, this is the line where Martin Trout says, um, I've got a stick of dynamite here that would just about blow the country apart. Now we suspect who it might be referring to. We can understand why. Not as it's probably not as bad as 
current issues with the royal family. (laughs) (laughs) And the stick of dynamite being the role of film, of course, which is very much a thing of the past for, for some for some time now um just think if they had the technology of today they w- you wouldn't have this merry-go-round that is gonna <laughs> occur but yeah, there you yeah. go um, it's crazy now to take something to a chemist and wait a day or two and get it developed yeah. and then go back there to get it yeah when you know everything's instant now isn't it because he seems to be negotiating his hundred grand he threatens to pass on the photos uh the photos by calling someone in whopping uh presumably another newspaper editor at least out that way. Um, we can't really hear the bloke on the end of the phone. It's quite inaudible. But it sounds like it's someone coming from like NASA space service. It just sounds very comical. So so far we've we've had a slightly we've had the slightly different opening to to one foot. No theme tune, a completely different film location, uh, an unusual sort of story opening, albeit with some slapstick included. Bit of sinister and a slightly immoral action by a paparazzi, and suddenly. Uh, the show is more than brought to life when the mere sound of Victor can be heard in the background. Hello, uh, can you put me through to your customer complaints department, please? Yeah, on your desk. Relations department. Sorry, I couldn't. No, 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 no. I don't want personal. I want to talk to someone. I want to complain about one of your products. I can come to you directly. Seemingly drowning out Martin Trout's conversation. He's he's more in shot now. He's 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 focused in, and Martin. Trout is struggling to hear um, as Victor's ranting. It sounds like um, yeah, it's a call to customer services about something, which we'll we'll see in a moment. He's now witnessing a full Victor rant. He's complaining. Oh, glorious! And it's a Victor great rant. rant. Yeah, he's. he's is this, I just want to think: is this the only time they interact, Martin yeah. Trout and Victor? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it's quite strange, isn't it? For you know, quite an extended episode. You've yeah. got the two main characters. It's the only time they. They talk to each other. I mean, Martin Trout will see Victor and Margaret a lot, but they just yeah. don't ever seem to see him, do they? But um, but anyway, Victor is complaining about a new pair of shoes he's purchased, and one of the shoes, the soles are flapping. To prove how, <laughs> to prove how faulty this pair of shoes are, he does flap the the shoe over the the, the receiver, just to just to give him a sense of how. Yeah, you know, badly. It's it's shoes come away. It cost him fifty five quid. Today's money, right? Okay, I did another inflation calculator thing. Today's money, fifty five quid. It's about one hundred and twelve pounds as of twenty nineteen. So hundred. He spent one hundred and twelve quid on a pair of shoes, holiday shoes. <laughs> yeah, and one of them, the soles have come away. So part way into his rant, Martin Trout has had enough, and he interrupts Victor. Are you? Superman's granddad. <laughs> I think it's one of the best insults thrown, the Superman's granddad, because of course what Victor's wearing is all blue. Hey, you. The red Superman's granddad. It's, it's and the, the way he stood as well. He sort yeah. of stood sort of looking back and he, he <laughs> is Superman's granddad. He's got the red a red um sweater around his shoulders. Yeah, blue shirt, blue trousers, red socks because He's taking one of the shoes off, so it's like he's got the full gear unintentionally. Like if it was Superman, not even Superman's dad, Superman's granddad. Perfect description, absolutely perfect. Who's shrieking? Who's shrieking? 
Yeah, it's quite the monologue, isn't it? Of the insults. A hand grenade could go off in your mouth and no one would hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 90 to the dozen. <laughs> I think Victor's getting his taste of his own medicine here with with, uh, with what loud people like with on phones. He's in yeah. Wisdom of the Witch. There's that loud American in there that he squares up to. And oh, hit. yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and he's Victor's being loud himself, although... He's not being. He's not got an ego with it. He's just having to raise his voice. We're in a busy station. It's loud, so I guess he needs to. He needs to let off steam. I like the fact that he's so incensed by being ripped off that even on his way to holiday, he takes time out and rings them from a payphone to complain. I can't <laughs> even wait yeah. until he gets home. Or I know. I do you find it? I don't know if this is a. I'm sure this is a common thing for people of London who who fly out from London to wherever they go, but do you ever get the train to your on to get to your chosen airport if if there's a, a route? No, we've never got the train. We always get a lift or uh, you know, mm. someone drops down or we'll drive and leave the car. I think Martin Trout is in the right here. I don't think Victor needs to shout as loud as he did. Although I think Martin Trout could have just let that go as well. So it's a bit of a and I think Victor was probably just a little bit too loud. He didn't need to. Yeah, I mean he was coming through loud and clear from like ten foot away, so I think he was. Yeah, I mean, it's not often I I side with somebody else other than Victor. Same. Yeah. I always think he's the victim. Mm. Yeah, I I, so. I think that as well. I I mean, in a small way, he Victor's the victim with with his uh, brand new pair of shoes. But in the midst of the argument, Margaret goes to the to use a telephone booth that Trout was at. He spots it, and he's quite rude with Margaret. She quite rightfully points out nobody was using it, and she probably yeah. steps aside. And whilst all the commotion right. occurs, she she drops a handbag, doesn't she? Everything comes out the worst. Yeah. Uh, we should. should I mean, he doesn't even sort of acknowledge it, even try and help her. You know, he just everything falls out. And yeah, it's it's the pure it's the it's the greed of money, isn't it? Before he mm-hmm. before Trout confronted Victor, he had his. We did see the shot of the film next to the telephone. That's so he's, yeah, that's very important. Perfectly in shot whilst he was on the telephone. But yeah, Margaret's things are all over the floor. Victor then con- he does continue his phone call, but a little bit of a funny throwback to Pit in the Pendulum. I think it's Pit in the Pendulum when he momentarily mistakes the phone for a, for another object, and this time not a live one, but his shoe. <laughs> Hello, yeah. and he's using the telephone. <laughs> to be fair, he en- he ends the phone call and can- he helps Margaret, and he which is quite sweet actually. He just comes to her age to pick up a few things and. He wants to know why she was trying to make a phone call. She's just cancelling the Sunday papers. So that seems like a thing of the past, doesn't it? That's very much, I was going to say that's, that's a very old-fashioned dated thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, I don't... Do they get Sunday papers now delivered still? I, I think you can. <laughs> I think you can. I think, I think right up until... I, don't, I think my parents might still have them delivered. Certainly five, mm. six, seven years ago they were. But yeah. now they've got iPads, I don't think they bother. So you, no, it's probably I'm trying to avoid the news, no? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's worth reading it right now. Margaret, Mr. Meldrew, we're going to miss it. Yes, coming. We, the audience, are treated to the fact that out of nowhere, it seems Mrs. Warboys is joining us from the other side of the station. She calls out that they're going to miss the train, and she's all a bit of a flat. Feels like she's the will be quite organised with trips, and the Meldrew is a little bit scatty, so she's just waiting there with all her luggage. So, I mean, yeah, she's on point with, with being organised. She must do her head in waiting for Victor to complain about something he's purchased and for Margaret to cancel the news agents. I must 
That must have uh, got to her OCD of being on time. Like I said earlier, I did always think this was an airport until you see the train. I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't see the signs of Victoria Station until I looked closer. No, but it yeah, seems a lot like an airport. It's it's unusual for most of us living outside of the big smoke to get a train to the airport, but most of us do. Most of us can drive or get a lift, like you said. Go back to what you said about Mrs. Warboys. I think it's the way she copes as well is just being completely oblivious to whatever Victor moans about. Yeah, yeah. It works like when they're on the plane and Victor's panicking. She, she's just not even, and she sat next to him. She doesn't even acknowledge he's he's panicking and yeah. goes on about something else. And I think Margaret tries to do that a lot, but sometimes she Margaret has had enough and she has to snap at him. But yeah, Victor he walks to catch up with the ladies, uh, Margaret and Jean. It's, it's hilarious because you hear the sound of his flapping shoe as he's having a little moan. A little grumble under his voice and uh, to be fair i think if you spent 55 quid on a new pair of shoes in this day and age let alone what the inflation rate you, you'd be pretty livid if that's your main pair um but anyway back to trout he's finalizing the dispatch of the film and suddenly he notices that the role of film is missing and we get a bit of a bit of a revelation music not tension build up but like oh he's just realized that stick of dynamite as, as he called it is gone and he instantly um, believes to be margaret who's probably picked up by by accident after he, he's just recalled her dropping all the stuff out of her handbag he then looks on ahead and can see that the train is leaving in the distance and i think he automatically assumes they've just got onto that train it's, it's all happened very quickly but it probably works that mrs warboy said we're gonna miss it hurry up so they literally just got on that train he sees the train leaving in the distance and yeah he's now he now knows he's got a bit of a mission on his hands we'll probably debate how the hell he n- knew where they were going and how he work with them and because he'd have to catch another train obviously so i think he, it's probably not hard to ask someone what where's that train going oh and then it's going to the yeah. going to the airport but then when he gets <laughs> to the airport he's got a still got i mean whether it's um he throws it he throw or where they're going yeah i think i think you, you probably ask people where which direction superman's granddad went <laughs> That's probably how he, <laughs> but he's then again, the whilst at the airport, Victor would um, stand out like a sore thumb with what he's wearing. So maybe it's, it's just with this, I, I'd remember him if he was waddling through an airport with his feet flapping, yeah. dressed in bright red and blue. That's, that's a tall order, though, isn't it? To still catch up with three people out of probably thousands yeah. at an airport. But anyway, especially, he does, especially like you said, from the train to the airport and then to the Algarve. Yeah, it's crazy. You've got to assume you're going to get the right plane tickets. He doesn't know at this stage that they're going to Portugal, yeah. does he? Uh, not no, not at the train. Anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, we're on the plane now. Victor sat uh, beside Mrs. Warboys and an unknown lady, but uh, character wise, but she's none other than the another legend, Joan Sims. Uh, nice to see her yeah. make a cameo role. Known for her carry-on films, of course. To us Falls fans, being Triggers, aren't he? Reenie Turpin. Um, Triggers, aren't he? Yeah. Rock's Legacy, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, one of my favourite ones, that. Kind good of a, time, girl. Good time. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of... I don't know the point of her role. It's it's a very, very, very brief cameo. So, first of all, I don't know why, in their reality, why Victor's not sat next to Margaret. Maybe Margaret has purposely not sat next to him, which I think is probably more likely i don't know if you could book seats back then i think it's first come first serve maybe joan sims is a named character probably was already there so gene probably an excited child on the plane wants to sit next to, sit next to the window then you've got margaret refusing to sit next to gene for the whole journey because she just chats 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 and of course there's no better sit next to victor who's just going to be a pain so 
probably makes sense why he, uh, she's not sat next to them. He's already but, in the already in the crash position. Fear of flying. I, I don't know. At this point, Mrs. Warboys has just explained the reason for their holiday, so it does give us the audience um, a good understanding of the purpose mm-hmm. of their trip. And she's got a Portuguese pen friend. They've been writing together for to, to each other. Sorry, for thirteen years they've never met, but now she's divorced Chris. Good for Jean. I think that's needed for her to move on. She can, and also Alfonso's wife passed away. I think she says, or then they're no longer together either. A couple of years previous, Chris disappeared with the private detective. Yeah, he, <laughs> he just reminded me that. Yeah, that's the end of series four. Brilliant. I think Joan Sims does a lot. A lot of the the anyone that comes into contact with Mrs. Warboys, they kind of like just shut up. You know, you just talk, talk, talk. In, in between Jean talking, Victor is panicking. The engines have stopped. Where they don't know. Just completely cut out altogether. He's got some sort of phobia of flying, maybe. What's what's the um, phobia called? Phobia of? Or was there not a name? I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, I think it's got a name. Yeah, I'm a bit like that. I'm not a great flyer. He's worried about turbulence, but they haven't even left yet. He... My God, Files, did you hear that? What is it now? I just overheard one of those stewardesses whispering to her colleague, "We're all doomed." It went by just then. Why is no one else panicking? Margaret's just completely bemused by now. How could we have turbulence? We haven't left the bloody runway yet. Jane Sims looks a little bit freaked out, like she's got Victor panicking to her right, and then Jean just chatting constantly further to her right and then to her left. She's got the, the wife of the man next to her who's just having a go at him. So she must be feeling a bit uncomfortable herself. She's just trying to get on with reading whatever she's reading. Yeah, it's a nice little um, opening scene, I think. Well, it's not an opening scene, is it? That's a lie. It's 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 nice to see that we get to see the start of their journey, if you like. It's not just at the train station, it's actually on the plane now. That's quite helps to build the story along nicely. Surprising, like you said, how Joan Sims, that's a, that's a very short cameo, isn't it, for someone of her stature, mm. you know, in her background. It's, you know, she's probably in it for about a minute. Also. I think I think she was known for doing that towards the end of her acting career. She would I think she starred in a lot of things, just um, cameo roles, just like Pocket Money almost. I think she'd uh, yeah. all but semi-retired, and she was happy to turn up. And um, I think she was probably a fan of One Foot in the Grave, and thought, "Well, oh, I'd definitely like to get a little bit of this, and just for probably yeah. a few, couple of hours of work, if that, to be in this scene." Quite an adventure for you. Moving on now, we're we've arrived. Thank you. We've arrived safely in the Algarve and a nice, beautiful panning shot of the Portuguese countryside. Um, we see a car uh, driving along the uh, the Portuguese roads and the Meldrews and Mrs. Warboys are in a hire car with Mrs. Warboys driving very nervously. Oh, I'll be jiggered. Look at that. A gear lever. Does seem to drive like a stereotypical old lady. I do love this new era of one foot music, though. I think it's arranged. I think the music is arranged, arranged by John A. Parry for this one, or I don't know if he does the previous. Um, I, think, I don't. Know, it's more than one person who composes the music for One Foot. It does give that '90s feel, but it's a little bit. It feels like a little bit reloaded. Like it's '90s, but it's a bit mm. different to other programs of, of that era. Suits it. I think it suits it, it well. It does suit the idea that they're the three of them are just like ordinary Brits on holiday abroad. I say ordinary, they're not that ordinary. If <laughs> We know them well enough by now, but Victor's getting a little bit sarcastic with, with Jean for the slowness of the driving. I think it's the first time they've been seen in a car since Beast in the Cage. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're taking it in terms of drive or not, so I don't know why Victor's complaining unless he's done his stint. I think it's quite a long drive from the airport in Algarve to where they need to get to. But Mrs. Warboys does have, I think, a valid point. They are driving on cliff 
mountain roadsides. Um, yeah, so the I foreign guess, country. Exactly. So I can, I can, yeah. I can understand it. Uh, it's just Victor's in full ramp mode. Right. <laughs> Margaret is in the back seat, and she's just. I think they're all hot and bothered. There's no air conditioning. All they've been <laughs> left with is well, they asked for sun lotion, didn't they? But they've been left hair conditioner in the glove compartment. Did they ask for air conditioner? And they've given them hair conditioner. Yeah, that that's the, what it is. That's the play on words, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He said, "Thank God we've got a car with hair conditioner." Yeah, not sun lotion. Sorry, I think I was thinking in my head that they can actually leave that because it's so hot in that country. But no, air conditioning hair. It's a very cl- that's very clever and a very funny joke. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's happened because I think a lot of the things David Remwick came up with, I think I'm sure he, he experienced probably. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all. The scene ends with that final air view shot again of the car driving through the uh, the mountain. Quite a short scene, but moving along nicely. I was going to say, you know, you mentioned Beast in a Cage. There's another link to that episode from this. that The actress that uh, played by, I think it's pronounced Louise Dupre. I can't think of her, her name in this. Oh, is she, is she um, Shirley? She's Shirley in this, isn't she? She's Hugh, Hugh yeah, and Shirley. Hugh she wife, in... that's it. She well, I, that as well? I, I'm sure it's the same same act, actress, but she was in that, you know, with her in the traffic jam. Yeah, Beast I'm in the sure cage. I remember her from that, Beast in the Cage. Wow, because um, now you say it, I can picture it. Yeah, she's in, wow, good find. Yeah, she is in Beast in the Cage. Yeah, it's just w- funny you said about them being in the car together, and the only other time now is Beast in the Cage. Yeah. And you've got that other link to that episode. Well, it's getting late now into the, the day for the Meldrews and Mrs. Warboys. The three are absolutely knackered, especially Jean. She looks absolutely buggered, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> they're in they're in some sort of a very weird-looking communal restaurant bar. I can't... It, it just looks like the most strange halfway house I've ever seen. Um, it's a very atmospheric place, and they talk about staying the night because there's no way they can continue driving. Um, especially Gene, who just looks absolutely comped out. Yeah, to say the least. It doesn't even look like any sort of restaurant or eatery or anything, does it? From the outside, it looks like um, a home. It looks like, like yeah, it looks like it's like a food shower, doesn't it? Like, there's no other cars parked there. It's just their rental car, and then it sort of pans towards the. the Yeah, I don't know what I I don't know what it's supposed to be at all. (coughs) Excuse me. Um. So Victor the pops on, on the ceiling, it's like pots yeah. hanging down. Yeah, yeah and it's quite grubby. It's very grubby. It's like Sid's calf, isn't it? Like a large Sid's oh, calf. A fatty um, thumb. Fatty thumb from from Royal Flush. You know that the, the particular <laughs> that because they, they changed the set so many times for Sid's calf, and that particular one looks so dodgy. Oh, um, the, the, the one arm, you know, the fruit machine, the, the gambler. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> In a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's absolutely groggy, but Victor sees this as a chance to use some of his Portuguese he's been learning and a uh, chance oh, to haggle. Yeah, he goes up to, it looks like, I don't know if it's the owner of the place or just someone who's running this weird-looking, grubby restaurant. Victor is unintentionally offering some sort of indecent proposal. He offers 5,000 escudos, which is about £85 back That's then. That's less of what he paid for the shoes, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's eight, it, he offers, so it's 42 quid he offers him, in, which is 5,000 escudos, and it's about £85 in today's money, which is probably a good deal for the three of them. But back to Victor's conversation. So with this, um, the Portuguese bloke, he sort of says, oh, that's very fair. I'd, I'd like the firm-bodied one on the left. 
poor Mrs. Wallboy <laughs> tracks trouble, doesn't she? And yeah, he, she he does. Says, he says, I bet she's a wildcat between the sheets and brings on the polite <laughs> laugh from Victor because he has no no idea what he's uh it's it's the same, isn't it? When you if you if you're learning a foreign language, you don't really think to learn a, the responses you're gonna get. You only got what the you've got the questions in mind you, you can ask, but you don't really you can't anticipate what kind of answer you'll get in the native language, at least you know, whatever that may be. Um no, I mean most people like say he's Portuguese, he don't he wouldn't speak textbook Portuguese, he'd no. speak like a local sort of dialect, mm. wouldn't he? So yeah, which yeah. you don't really learn. But I do like Victor's laugh in that, it's just like a polite <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, he's got <laughs> such a funny laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You know when he's listening to uh, Python. Oh, Monty Python, spam, 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 spam. Very good. <laughs> he's, yeah, I love that scene. I, th- I think I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, <it's good. laughs> Chris, Chris is having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Secret of the Seven Sorcerers. Is, he's just laughing at anything Mrs. Wallboy says. That's quite tragic, unintentionally. Um, but yeah, he's that's politely laughing. He's politely laughing with this big bloke. And um, he he brings him to the table, and he, he it's weird how they've. I think Victor and Margaret are willing to stay up for a bit longer. So Victor thinks he's this guy's just going to show Jean to her sleeping quarters. Hello, I go with you. Oh yeah. <laughs> she goes off, and Margaret's moaning a bit about Victor on how they actually booked the holiday. Um, I think it's like she, I think she's basically saying that they should have booked it through a, a travel agent or or not through. A, through someone different and as as the moaning we suddenly hear an almighty scream <laughs> uh, literally moments after jean's gone she's barely been gone 30 seconds she's running out of her this room which is overlooking this rest all the tables it's a very strange setup you've got like four or five doors leading to presumably grotty bedrooms overlooking the whole <laughs> dining area and she's running out of the room, and this bloke is half naked. He's like putting on his pants or he's putting on his vest and screaming expletives. I assume expletives in Portuguese. And Mr. Wall was absolutely traumatized. And when he when she gets to Victor Margaret, she can't bring herself to use or describe what happened. He wanted you to what? Jean? Something beginning with H. Which remains a mystery throughout. I think she means hump or something in Portuguese that begins with H. That's rude. But I think she means hump. Did you assume that or? Yeah, well, I, I hope there was another theory, but I think it's probably that. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love in that scene, like the, the scream is brilliant. And I mean, that's a proper yeah. ear splitting scream. And then, yeah. like you said, he's up there within seconds. He's got his top off. Mm. He's not hanging about. Yeah, he's, he's straight in there. He's, he's yeah. creepy looking older. Victor's more interested in working out what uh, H is, um, but they really need to get going. And the car screeches off with all three of them in there. And uh, yeah, Margaret absolutely has a go at Victor for his use of Portuguese. <laughs> he says it's not his fault. He's just got the wrong end of the stick. And Margaret says that's nothing nothing to what Jean nearly got the wrong end of, which is a f- great little line. And but, again, in the car, she looks absolutely traumatised, doesn't she? Yeah, she's, um, I think it's, that's fair enough if you've just been quite dark, really. She was about to be attacked, really. But Him Jean back. would especially take it badly, wouldn't she? Well, because of her nature. She nearly did. Margaret points out to Victor, watch out for your speed, you know, in a foreign country. And just as she says that, uh, Victor notices the police are following him. So in his, in his rear view mirror, there's 
flashing blue lights and oh, what a horrible moment that must be for anyone getting stopped by the I've never I don't think I've no I've never been stopped by the police certainly uh, not in a foreign country I don't, know, I don't know about you Darren but um must be it's bad enough in this country I have been stopped a couple of times but not I mean abroad it'd be a nightmare because you've got the language barrier straight away yeah you could just end up in a um you could say or act because you're so nervous they're just it's just going to bring on the suspicion even more so, isn't it? Yeah, um, definitely. Anyway, so the, 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 there's two Portuguese policemen. They quick, they do quickly establish Victor and, and Margaret um, are English. They seem to be... They, it feels like they're in a bit of trouble by the tone of these police... Policio's voice. Uh, they just sound, sound quite stern. And Margaret they're shows... They're like twins a, as well, aren't they, the two police? Yeah. They're just... There's no... And they're in shades at night. That's what I thought was weird. That's yeah. I didn't think about that. Actually, that is strange. Yeah, um, it just adds to this. Uh, they look quite scary, um, to say the least. Someone very nearly assaulted our friend. Yes, he wanted to do something beginning with H. Apparently. <laughs> what was that? You work it out. But yeah, Margaret shows a slip of the uh, holiday destination, or basically the little village town there they're trying to get to. They kind of glance at it and then invite them into the police car. And Victor, Margaret, Jean look absolutely horrified. They haven't brought their... We don't see them bring their luggage with them, so we think, guys, oh, they're in a bit of trouble here. Um, it's all a bit dodgy. It's nighttime, foreign country, not good. I do wonder what the, the cops were saying. I couldn't... If we had a translator of this podcast, that would be handy. We, the audience, might... If you if you watch this, and by by fluke, you could speak... You were fluent in Portuguese. This this plot, wouldn't, this wouldn't be a problem. You'd know what they're saying, and, and you wouldn't be left baffled by what's going on but mo- i think a lot of us probably don't understand portuguese so therefore we're we're in it together with victor margaret and jean like bloody hell where they're going and that's one for our portuguese listeners yeah i need to see if i've got any <laughs> listeners in the Portu- in portugal i watched on um Britbox accidentally about three minutes in put the subtitles on but i thought i'd leave it and right. it doesn't actually it doesn't say anything when the police are speaking He'll just say something like speaks in Portuguese. He won't translate it because obviously it would ruin the plot. That would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a good job they didn't, especially for your first time view of this. They're taken to a building and they're in like a darkened and dingy room. The police cops continue to speak in their native language despite despite knowing their English. And I'm not saying they should be speaking English, not being some angry little Englishman. I can't help but feel, I think from their point of view, whatever they're saying is fine by them. They know what they're trying to say, but they must look at Victor, Margaret and Jean going, they don't look comfortable. Because we're trying to, we're, we're talking about this chronologically, so there's not too much we can say about the police, but they've just dropped them off there. They sort of walk off and sort of laugh to themselves. They seem a bit arrogant. Seem, it seems like they're rubbing it in their faces from their point of view. Like, hey, yeah, got, you know, here you are, huh? no explanation, and that's it. I think it might be l- later in the day. So this is like throughout the night. We've got a bit of daylight now, but like a bird's eye view of their... It looks like a cell, doesn't it? The space that there's two beds up against the wall, each side of the wall. Yeah, it looks like a nasty little place to stay. Because we can just see see Jean and Margaret sat on the beds, we hear the sound of the lavatory chain being pulled multiple times. which brings a bit of laughter from the audience and Victor comes out with a bowl of piss. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think the toilet's got any water, so he's, he's had to pour it into this bowl, which is minging, really. They've been there for 18 hours, according to Mrs. Wallboys. Nothing to eat. 
it's hideous. Victor can't really sit still, can he? Victor never looks tired, does he? Like even eighteen hours, and he's still, mm. he's still got the energy to be sarcastic and, and walk yeah. around and you yeah. know angry with things. Yeah, a bit of a revelation for Margaret that she'll be sixty years old next month, and the look on her face is quite fierce and one of disbelief. And and she says sixty years of waiting for something to happen. Victor then rants and bangs on the door to be let out. He just can't sit still. Margaret carries on her monologue. Realise now that's the only thing that's kept me going. The hope that one day things might be different. That one day, well, I suppose it was being over-romantic, I could go on a nice holiday to Portugal and come home again afterwards. <laughs> Instead of being left to rot to death in a set of Midnight Express. <laughs> Charged with geriatric pimping. Great little monologue, though, from Annette Crosby. That's good. Again, it's like David Brennan, he never lets us sort of laugh for too long. He always adds a dark, Mm. serious element. You know, Margaret's having a sort of, not a midlife crisis, but, you know, struggling with turning 60. A bit of a a breakdown, really, isn't it, for her? Um, Yeah, it's it's a good job Victor's taking no notice. (laughs) In Timeless Time, end of series two, she is referenced she referenced herself as being 55 and that was in 1990 this is 93 so her character age is a bit well i don't know what the timeline's like this is obviously box and a 93 series the end of series two is not that long ago but she's aged five years in that timeline if that makes sense we've in that since then we've had series three and series four when there's a series out of any comedy, you think it's like, because it's like one series a year, you assume they're one year older, but unless they state yeah. otherwise, but a little bit older than she um, stated. And she's yeah. certainly younger than Victor, I think. I think Victor is probably just over 60 now. I think Richard was, was early 50s when he was asked to play the role, wasn't he? Because mm. I think he, I think he's 56, in, 57 when, in, in series one. I've seen interviews, he's saying that he never wanted the role. He was a bit dubious because he didn't want to play older men. Obviously, Victor's a much older man, you know, a man retiring. In, in in nature, he's a lot older than me, but um, I just, like, as I get to this age, 60 and old, but when you're young, um, it, it does seem like seem like it's old, doesn't it? But yeah. um, anyway, so Victor suddenly gets a bit of cramp, um, which is nice, more comic relief. I think he's just, he's when he stresses himself out, he seems to get these little, these aches and pains. And Margaret seems to be scaring Mrs. Warboys. Actually, they're, they're probably um, they're all probably they're all probably going to be killed by garroting. Did you know what garroting is? No, I had to Google it's not it. it's, nice. like a, it's like a form of strang- strangulation or something. She's been sinister with her sense of humour. She's just been a little bit dark, but she obviously doesn't believe that. But Mrs. Warboys is just such a rabbit in headlights. She's like, what? You really they think they're going to do that to us? Do you think? Um, yeah. She says that about grotting because Victor's got this pain in his leg and she's like, well, don't worry, you're going to basically die anyway yeah. in a few minutes. Put us so. on, did she say put us on the rack? Something like that. Something, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I did have to rewind it back a few times, but um, that scene ends then. We, we, we see a, a family of three in the car. So we see what I assume is a husband and wife. So this is Louise Dupree, who you mentioned earlier, and Eamon Walker. Eamon Walker, sorry. Otherwise known as Hugo and Shirley, with an older chap in the back is played by the legend that is uh, Louis Mahoney, who sadly passed away, I think, early this year. Um, I recognise him from Faulty Towers, the doctor in Faulty Towers, wasn't he, in the Germans. 
Um, oh, he was, yeah. Yeah, he was in, he's been in loads of things in uh, Zed Cars, Doctor Who, the film Captain Phillips with, with Tom Hanks. But anyway, this this Louise Dupree, who plays Shirley, she, like you said, she died at quite a young age in the year 2000 at age 42. And you pointed out that she was also in The Beast in the Cage. So quite um, quite interesting. She was called back to do this sort of a year later. But yeah, they're a family of three. They're on their holidays. And the, the main point of the conversation is Hugo, who's, I think he's driving. He is a... I think he's a welterweight boxer or something. And his, yeah, welterweight. He's welter, and his dad has sort of given him a bit of grief because he's lost the eleven of the last twelve uh, fights. Hugo is just trying to, but he's just ignoring him. It's like, Dad, I'm on holiday. Just like drop it. And his his dad's like, well, This is exactly why you lose fights because you haven't got that killer instinct. You haven't got any anger in you. You should be passionate about what you do. And um, yeah, Shirley and Hugo just like you know, shut up, old man. We're on holiday. Let's not talk about it. So that's that's sort of an introductory scene isn't it from them yeah i wonder if his dad is his trainer i suspect he is by the way he talks um, yeah i always assume that because he says about 30 years in, in the boxing game or something similar yeah. i just always assumed he was his trainer i loved his line it's about hate you have to hate the person you have to physically want to beat the living crap out of the man you're boxing yeah. um, <laughs> It's, he's probably right, really, with what he says. But you are on holiday. The dad also says you want you want to be basically you want to be fighting with with this anger, not stopping halfway through round five to inquire about your mum's arthritis. Um, another <laughs> another enough. excellent imaginative surreal thought Renwick puts in our heads. Like, can you really picture a, a boxer stopping halfway through just concerned about his relative's uh, ailment? You know, too bizarre for words. But yeah, the old dad just says, oh, "We've just got to work on this attitude problem of yours." But he just wants him more angry. He's too chilled. Yeah. Eamon Walker, though, I, he's been in, he's like quite a big American, I don't know if it's so much now, but he's done a lot of American films and TV series. Have you ever seen Oz? It's like a, an American prison series. No, I, I know some people who watch it, yeah, and it's, it's meant to be brilliant. I've never really watched it good. myself, so he's I in that, is he? It. Yeah, he's in that. Um, he's a baddie in that. He was in Alf Garnet, Sickness and Health. Was he? Um, yeah. Till Death Us Do Part was late 60s early 70s and it came back in the mid 80s i think itv might have aired it on the comeback and he played it was quite i think it's not really do you know much about Garnet and his the, he's only a, the, the basic colorful, yeah, with the, yeah the colorful and the colorful language move, you know calling his yeah. wife like, yeah. different names you bloody silly man <laughs> But Eamon um, Walker plays Alf Garnett's sort of care care worker maid type and, um, yeah, winds up Alf Garnett a treat, but they do get on in it. Yeah, anyway, that's where I also recognised him from. They arrive at their villa, the, the th- these three, and Shirley identifies, like, the manky old dump across the, uh, the, wor- uh, the road. Um, I think the travel agent described it as being held together by cockroach droppings. And you can see, like, this through the hedges through the bushes like this villa which looks a bit rubbish than that he's got the, he has got a car with some suitcases on the back and then you suddenly hear victor call out now at this point I don't know if we should talk about this, but did you go, oh, that must be their villain, they're getting confused? Or did you go, their luggage, so it must be. It's not a police station. Did you think that? Because I certainly 
didn't fall. I, I, that's why I did fall for it. I was with Victor, Margaret, and Jean the whole time, thinking, "Shit, they're in prison." But if you think yeah, about I, it, it's, it, isn't it obvious that is their villa? Since there's a their car with their luggage, although they haven't yeah, driven, have I'm, they? No, the first time I watched it, I think I, I, I did think that was a prison cell, mm. and then sort of pieced it together when you hear Victor shouting, you start to think, "Then, oh, hang on, yeah, you know, this has got to be their villa," because you know they even point out these suitcases on top of the car, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and again, I love Victor's. You bastards! <laughs> and then he shouts about Terry Waite. I love that. If Terry Waite can stand it, so can we. It's brilliant. I there's a lot of times where they they let Richard Wilson scream out his lines without a microphone near him, so it's like it's echoey <laughs> from a distance. Um, I, yeah. I, I feel like I say this every other episode, but it's just the acoustics sound so much better and more um, authentic when he's shouting through a window. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they they like, can they can see you that. Feel, you, you can hear him in the background ranting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So they're obviously right in their villa. It's probably lovely. Opposite their villa looks like some sort of dodgy makeshift cell, and we think it's probably their car and luggage. But they're from our point of view, it's some sort of cell they're locked in. They can't get out. So what else is it? They're being held hostage. So surely the fact that she says that the travel agent described, I think for this episode, Hugo is going to play the part of Patrick because he's going to witness a lot of things that seem peculiar and he hasn't really got a backstory to it. So he kind of takes one glance, a look uh, over across the road. Does he, I think he witnessed Victor saying, you bastard, which Hugo looks on with a bit of, a bit of disbelief and confusion. I think he sets it up well there. Well, yeah. not friendship, but yeah. their relationship, because he yeah. often captures Victor at the wrong moment, and yeah. he just looks completely insane. It's, he thinks, oh, is this who we're going to be living next, opposite for the next couple of weeks? Because he doesn't know whether it's uh, some shabby villa or, or a prison cell. But anyway, we have some lovely external shots of the Algarve and the local residents hand-washing in the, the large watering cabinets. Um, beautiful coastal village. Uh, it's like Cornwall-esque the, the, the Algarve version where all these lovely apartments overlooking the harbour. Uh, it's very, very lovely. The shots of these local residents washing their laundry, it feels like that's quite authentic. It feels like that's real footage. It doesn't feel like they're, they're extras. Do you think this, that's a real bit of footage? Or I think it they're... probably is, yeah. I don't think they're, like, the, the fruit stall and things like that, it looks quite genuine, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You see a shot of a car with the luggage on top and Vic just trying to reach out this very small boarded up window with his hand and he's trying to <laughs> he's been egged on by uh, Margaret and Mrs. Wallboys. They are just egged on and eventually manages to pick some fruit, much to their the, the ladies' delight. Got it! <laughs> Sadly a lemon. Very disappointing. What's this? A lemon? Is that all there is, Mr. Meldrew? Oh that I think I can see a string of bratwurst sausages just breaking up nicely in the next branch. Of course it's all there is. It's a bloody lemon tree. What else do you expect to find on it? Of course, that all that's going to do is it's going to basically get Victor. It's going to sarcastically respond, isn't he? Uh, I think it's a string yeah. of sausages. <laughs> yeah, it's a string of bratwurst sausages. Again, he's like, he's drained, but he's still got the energy to have a go at Mrs. Warbikes in a sarcastic yeah. way. I mean, they've prob- they probably had this hope for the last hour of him trying to reach out to the fruit tree. Um, you think he would have said to him, it's a lemon tree? That's true. Yeah. Well, Margaret Rather. Margaret slices one open anyway, and Victor's pondering his surroundings to understand where they are. So he's like, he's trying to identify noticeable areas of where, you know, in the local area, like signs and stuff. 
and Mrs. Warboy suckles on that lemon, doesn't she? She looks absolutely depressed. Uh, when, <laughs> when Victor reads out where they are, uh, by way of a sign, I think he reads out Da Quim Marda. Um, he thinks it probably means police station or something. And he can see some chickens. And when when he reads that out, the penny seems to drop for Margaret. She she retrieves the, the slip of paper that she gave the police in the earlier scene. She then just starts to something's clicked for her. She starts to force open the door. And Mrs. Warboys and Victor sort of stand in absolute confusion and awe. It wasn't locked. It was never locked. It was just a bit stiff. <laughs> God, haven't you worked it out yet? Worked what out? Rua Doesn't that ring any bells? This is our villa. <laughs> Absolute relief for us, the audience, I think. 36 hours they stayed there, and uh, apparently a charming villa to suit any couple, such as who? Bill Sykes and Nancy. Uh, did you ever watch Sykes? Um, no, my dad was a big fan. I used to watch bits of it. My dad um, really enjoyed it, but I couldn't really reference anything that happened in it, but I knew what... So it was Hattie Jakes. Hattie Jakes, yeah. Yeah, yeah my dad was a really big... Cause it's similar sort of in the vein of Peter Cook. He, mm. he always used to say to me about how intelligent and... Yeah. Because I think Sykes, I think he was sort of like a working man, really, that yeah. you know, had, had a bit of writing talent and, and he got quite far, but yeah. It's such a twist, isn't it? Like, it's the last place you thought is... It's their villa. It's actually it's not a cell. It's just some crappy room in the in the place that they've hired out. And this is what I'm saying. How do we, the audience, not know that from the fact that first of all their car and luggage is seen in twice outside of this building because if it was a police station, that car because they they left their car on the side of the road originally, didn't they? Wherever they were at night. So that's probably yeah. threw us off a little bit. But also because this Shirley who lives opposite has referenced what the travel agent describing this you know opposite this villa held together by cockroach droppings yeah mystery how how, we how do they how do they get i always thought the the police officer got in their car victor got in the the police car Vic, the officer then got in their car and drove it for him well there's two uh, well they all is that what happened so all three went into the, the police car and out of the two police officers one of them was, would have driven their hire That's car it, and yeah. followed them back yeah so she said, so just to clarify for the listener, I just had to watch the, that scene back where Shirley describes it as a manky old, the, the way the travel agent described it, the, the building opposite as being a manky old dump. So it's not giving anything away that is a villa. So I just I just had to check that because I thought that'd be bizarre if Renwick wrote that because he doesn't want to spoil, he doesn't want people to guess that where Victor and Margaret are. But anyway, absolute relief. <clears throat> Things about to pick up. We've now, we've got a lot of upbeat, um, comedy now because we've gone from thinking Victor and Margaret and Jean have been locked away for something they obviously haven't done to the fact that it is of course their villa and how typical this would happen to the Meldrews I mean it's so rubbish that they thought they're, they're in a prison cell and of course that door was stiff wasn't it it's nothing more than stiff with, without a door <laughs> handle which of course um, is, is going to make you think you're locked in yeah, and that, it's just a relief. We we see them settle into their abode with with a um, a montage of of uh, music. I think it's it's uh, Shaken Stevens. This old yeah, house. this old house. That's it, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's 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 brilliant. So just to talk through what we see in this montage. So Margaret opening some very dusty curtains, 
um, terrible kitchen with like bottles on the floor, cracked flooring and moldy sideboards. Dark, very dark and dingy. Mrs. Wallboys and Victor are unpacking separately in their rooms uh, their large suitcases, or they're, they're carrying from the car, sorry, to the to the uh, villa. House is very much lopsided as Margaret sort of stands outside at the back, looking at this place they're staying in. There's a, suddenly there's a top of a stairway shot of Victor walking in, uh, so we have a better idea of the layout to the entrance of the property. Everything is wrapped in cobwebs. It's a real crap hole. Um, it's healthy, it's, is it really good prop work, or is it a real place that is just disused and they could film there? Because it, it seems a bit overdone, the, the amount of cobwebs. Um, and yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's real. I think it's yeah. real. I just love the bit, the bit with the bats. Yeah, is that why I take the bats off? Mrs. Warboys is is that no? That's um, Margaret, isn't it? She's putting stuff away in a cupboard in a wardrobe. Yeah, sorry, Margaret's putting things away, and then the the bats sort of come into <laughs> shot, and you're quite close to them. But it, you could tell it's just plastic bats that someone's shaking. From yeah, <laughs> you know, it couldn't be any more fake. No, that sometimes that's what makes it funnier, isn't it? No, yeah. Do you, I think it no, does. do you notice the camera shot from the stairways is at the top of the stair? stairs even that where Victor's walking in. It's very close to the traditional Meldrew hallway front door view shot we get. You know yeah, we always is, get that yeah. shot at the top of the I think they're doing yeah. the, the Algarve version. Um Mrs. Yeah. Wilbur's Jean struggling up the stairs with her suitcases and like you said, Margaret trawling through the wardrobes, coat hangers with the the, the fake bats. Um Victor lifts up the very dirty bog seat. Um and then it switches to Gene Warboy's foot being well and truly stuck in the staircase. I wonder how they replace that for like the rest of their visit because we don't really it's not we don't really see that hole in the staircase again. We don't really get a good shot of it to be fair. Um Victor's testing the shower, nothing but a shower of dust. Mrs. Warboy's blessed she's doing her best to make her room feel homely, um, putting all the ornaments on the on top of the shelf, which obviously collapses. And uh, there's a boy, Victor opens a bathroom cabinet, and there's a boy looking through. Um, absolutely would make you jump, wouldn't it? The yeah, runs definitely into, runs off into the distance, and uh, that that, cause that finishes off that montage scene. But I gotta say, when Mrs. Warbury is on the phone in the next scene, how they've really improved that villa, and it? it suddenly looks quite clean and presentable. Uh, they've managed you know, to. I, I... I forgot that was the same place. I always thought they were somewhere else. Yeah, they've... they've That's got to be, isn't it? It's, it's completely... They've turned it around massively. Because um, where Jean's sat, it looks like it's the, the... I don't know it's the main entrance to the villa, but it looks okay, you know, from the shot we have. And uh, well, so, Good job uh, out of anything else. The phone line works there. Yeah, I'm surprised it did. Because everything else looked like it was... There was no water running water and uh yeah i i don't know just assume that the travel agent said some handy andy down to fix things but uh so who's mrs warboy's on the phone to she's on the phone to alfonso alfonso that's it yeah alfonso um which is which is nice she's just uh saying they're the worst they're really the worst of it and it's uh all, all okay now and they're all they're still on for the big meet um and that's quite a short scene really isn't it it's just it's letting us know that they're moving the story on nicely. It's quite a big deal, really. She's going to see this guy that she's never met in person before. 
um, mm. and go on with a date. Next scene, Victor and Margaret's room. They're, they're, they're obviously getting ready to go out as well. Uh, Margaret takes issue with Victor's aftershave, describing it as um, it's like releasing a chemical warfare on the public. She does often take issue with his grooming, doesn't she, in his fashion sense, like in Dreamland. Yeah, the Noel Edmonds. But yeah, I just love the fact that Victor says, I'm hardly likely to pay £3.47 for an aftershave. It makes yeah. me smell like a donkey. But he spent... What fifty five pound on a pair of shoes? Well, you think again? I did <laughs> inflation calculator, <laughs> and three forty seven is about eight quid in in twenty nineteen. So no, eight eight pound on our aftershave. No wonder it stank because that's the sort yeah. of money you pay on a market stall. Uh, Bought it off Dell boy. Dell's yeah, splash of brute, knocked off brute. Yeah. That's that's. But apparently, it makes Sam Dior. Can do these fools reference now, me. Um, yeah, makes, sorry. <laughs> that's right. No, I'm loving it. It makes him sound like a sound. The aftershave makes a bit to smell like a donkey, apparently. So yeah, like you said, why would he spend a whole three forty-seven? It's going to make him smell like a donkey. That's quite a specific three pound forty-seven, not three fifty mm. or three pound. That's quite a specific. I just think Renwick thinks it sounds funny saying three pounds forty-seven rather than three fifty. Uh, yeah. As as he's having a little rant back at margaret she's switched off from that and she's looking at this huge suitcase and it's she opens it and in the suitcase is so there's something that i didn't quite understand as a young lad watching this i mean young like seven eight i think i couldn't see what the problem was but in this suitcase there are obviously uh things that you you wouldn't really think to take on holiday like a hose pipe a beezer magazine uh a snake breeze like a, you know these breeze blockers that again I don't see anyone not even old people have um, that you put at the bottom of the door so to stop the breeze coming oh, in. Draft excluders. That's otherwise known as draft excluders. Thank you. Um, that's also in the suitcase. And I don't seem to see people using those anymore. There's, there's a whole wedge of bill statements and stuff, and there's this dispute between Victor and Margaret. I thought you were supposed to have emptied all this when you brought the case down. <laughs> Taken it out. I said I hadn't taken it out. You said you were going to do everything. Pack all the sheets and towels in it on Friday. I said, why do I have to do everything? I asked you to pack all the sheets and towels. <laughs> I laid them all out on the spare bed ready. You must have seen them when you took the bloody thing down to the car. But they, they, <laughs> there's a misunderstanding on who, on who said what. And um, to be honest yeah. with you, it's very believable that um, Victor would get the wrong end of the stick. Um, what did she say? Victor said you said you were going to pack everything, and Margaret yeah. said, "Why?" I said, "Why, why do I always have to pack everything?" That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's it. And the, the cherry on the ice of the cake is the fact that they paid excess baggage to bring that there. So um, there's like they've even got they've even got a, a mouse trap in in uh, which they she says we could probably use this. So um, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a mess! What a mess! On a slightly more like dark note i wonder who i wonder whether it was stewart's copies of the beezer would he have been oh. older well i was talking to who'd read um, beezer i was those two i was talking to david who was on the episode hearts of darkness yeah he was a good guest yeah he was, he was very good. he's he's read the one foot in the grave novel that i've i've barely heard of but it was out just after series two was released and he says that Apparently, um, Stuart, the, the son, died as a young baby of a, of a heart defect. 
um, whether they whether that that is like the official storyline because it's obviously never been released. Is that's just a, like a script that Roman's devised? I suppose you have to go with what he says. Then he'd be too young to read, and you know, any baby to have a bees in my Um That's a strange one. Maybe mm-hmm. they got lots of uncles and aunts, and they cousins. Maybe they got children in the extended family who. Who was the um? Was it Kylie's? No, who was the tall oh, yeah. It was a girl, a young girl in that. That's right. It could be Kylie's. It could be. It could be, yeah. it could be the um. Just go back. Perhaps Victor bought a few copies of the bees there to give to her one day or something like. Thinking backwards. Yeah, but yeah. It you, could you know, be. with the um, you said about David mentioned the the novel. Yeah. Well, after listening to that, I ordered one online. Oh, did you? I've I've been meaning to get one. But it's... they sent two in error. So if you want one. Oh, nice one. Yeah, I'll I'll, bung, yeah. I'll, I'll bung you a, whatever it costs to send uh, this. No, oh, it wasn't a lot. I think it, it was. Is it funny? The one I ordered. Oh, and, uh, yeah. They, they sent me a hardback and a paperback, but you know you can have either one really. So I don't need. Oh, that's very nice so. of you. Wow, very sweet. Oh, my funny. my first podcast uh, patron uh, <laughs> is donating a. That's very kind of you. Yeah. I read about three pages in, and it is it's like written in the style of of it is brilliant writing again from page one, and it's like descriptive. You know, very yeah. you know obviously similar to one foot, but mm. I won't ruin it. But again, yeah, I think there's parts that are really dark in it. And, yeah, that's what David said. It's, it's, um, it could also be, um, do you remember Andrea from Descent into the Maelstrom, the, 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 the disturbed girl who stole a baby? Oh, yeah. Maybe she could have been her Beads magazines, I don't know. But it's, a good, it's a good point. Whose magazine is that? When I was younger, I just thought, what's wrong with that? It's just a suitcase full of random stuff. But like, you know, when you're eight, seven or eight, you just don't really think like, Better do room packing, so I just thought anyway, because they're staying in a villa of a house, you might need these weird things that you wouldn't usually pack if you're going to a hotel. But that's what I was trying to justify as at a young age. I wonder who the ice skates are. Oh, yeah, oh, Margaret, isn't it? I think Margaret's, (laughs) um, I could see her skating in in her younger years. Um, she mentions she mentions she mentions access statements, and I remember in when I was reviewing, I think Dreamland was it with you yourself. Dreamland. Yeah, with me. Yeah, Dreamland. And I, yeah. and I and they found Margaret's um coat by her access number and I, I didn't know what that meant, but uh, Nikki who's been on, she said it's how they used to identify that they used used to have credit card statements with an access number which linked to your name and address. So uh, yeah. That's I just thought that just came to me when I watched that. Um it's but yeah. the days before shredding and before yeah. ID fraud and basically. Yeah. And that much needed chocolate bar. Yeah, I know. I got one with me now. Nice. A mint club. Nice. No smarties and whiskey, though. Um, <laughs> presumably later in the day, we the, the, the three of them are in a sort of alfresco dining. Uh, and a donkey is interfering with Victor as he's eating. So uh, literally, it's not just a throwaway comment by Marvin when she says, smell like a donkey. He truly does, <laughs> since one is um, trying to get in. Um, um, Mrs. Wallboys finds it amusing and goes to take a photograph. There's a whole herd of them follow Victor as he walks down like an alleyway, sort of thing that can yeah. only happen to Victor. Um, and we we get some various shots of them in this downtown busy market. And it looks great, really. I think it's probably real. I don't think it's all staged. I think it's a genuine because it looks like like Rich Wilson is 
he's not in character as Victor. He's just talking talking to a fruit and veg owner. He looks a bit like he's almost staring at the camera crew. Yeah, um, it's like a little that, docu- but... it's like a little documentary, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's yeah. I love definitely not acting. No, they look too out of character. But one thing I love about you know Spain, Portugal is the fruit and veg market. So just like, you go to a fruit and veg market over there, and it's just like it's amazing. premium, isn't it? Like tomatoes yeah. is just red as you like. It's proper massive. Everything's in large yeah. quantities and good quality compared to over here. Watermelons um, are huge and oh, massive. Know, yeah, forty pence. Yeah, and it's good. It's very good value. Yeah, we went to Costa del Sol last year. And we we just bought bags, bag load of fruit and and um, veg. And we didn't know what we just gnawed on it. We couldn't we couldn't bring it home with us, obviously. But we just it was nice to have by the pool. Um, but yeah, and lovely. And it's the grapes we were buying, and yeah, the you know, massive, the massive yeah, grapes. Grapes the size of I would say. Um, trying to compare plums. them to size. Yeah, <laughs> little plums like not very. Ba- yeah. If you take a baby plum, it's size of those but it's lovely very very ripe fruit over there um and we were then at a like a shoe shop and uh victor's as ever seems to get eyed up by the by the younger ladies um i think in love and death with petra and marie they seem to giggle at him don't they because he's i don't know he just he's just not aware sometimes that he actually attracts the odd smile from a woman and there's a uh, a lady at the till scoffing a sandwich and she starts to choke this is played by Anna Nicholas. Um, and guess what? She died at age 66 in 2014. Um, okay. So that's a, another character from this episode who, who I you know, would say passed away at quite you know, a young age. She was 47 in this particular episode. She looked really good for it. And she was only in continues. She was only in for three or four more things. Three more, sorry, she was only in three or four more uh, films or TV shows after this. Sorry, what did you say then? Because I, I over... No, sorry, I interrupted. Um, I was just saying the curse continues. <laughs> it is a curse, yeah, absolutely. I don't know it if is. it's that, or is it just that because obviously it's a sitcom about older an older couple where they just stand for reason that they're going to be older actors. And well, that's what I thought, but you know, this this you know she this if you take Anna Nicholas, she was obviously she died many years later, twenty one years later. But just anyone linked many uh, actors linked to this show. It feels like they've they've not started much more after one foot, or they've died at a young age. Oh, that's um, true. But yeah. I don't know. I'm probably reading too far too into that. But she starts to choke on this sandwich, and Victor suddenly knows how to perform the Heimlich maneuver. Possibly the start of Margaret feeling insecure because he's literally got, you have to wrap your arms around the other person's body from behind, and um, he he saves her life, I, I, I suppose, because uh, she is choking. She's very grateful. From the outside of the shop now, we see the first of uh, Mr. Martin Trout. He's, well, against all odds, he's caught up with Victor and Margaret. He can't actually see them. I should know. I, well, no, he can see them. Can he see them? I think he can see them through the... I think they're visible. I'm they're visible. I don't think it, he, he, the camera lets it be known that he can see them through the shop window. Because yeah. you can see Victor from, from the other side of the road and... Um, yeah. Martin Trout is just obviously taking in his surroundings. He's got a hell of a job on to, to locate them, isn't he? Because yeah. he might have got this far. You know, he's he's managed to get on the right train, the right flight. Mm-hmm. Now he's in the in the city of Algarve. That's that is like a need still That's a need a in the haystack. Victor's gonna be dressed as Superman's granddad, is he, for the for the two weeks they're away or however long it is. So um 
but this is the we've already seen Martin Trout falling out the tree. So a lot, a lot of violence will uh, will. He's, he's already um, injured. He's got that mark on his right cheek. I think it is. He's already. He's, he's already bruised a bit. Yeah, and tra- he tra- travelled half of Europe. That's right. He's he's um, paying a big price to get this um, possession back, which is worth a hundred thousand pound. And he walks down the um, street pathway, and I think I must have rewound rewound this um, very short scene hundreds of times when I first watched this, and. I did when I was reviewing it. Of course, yeah. he walks into a workman's lorry. And it, the way, the, the reason why this is funny, not because he just walked into the lorry, but I love how they cut. He, he sort of screams like you would when you've just been like, oh, like that. And it cuts yeah. so abruptly, doesn't it? It's like, it it's a very funny. the next theme. Yeah, it's a very funny, it's very bizarre sort of edit where they didn't even allow much of the audience to laugh it's a very cut very yeah suddenly but i think it added to it like um quite yeah, it's brilliant. and the third is the door just slams into yeah. his face the, the, the noise it, uh, the noise of that uh, there's some people out there have you ever witnessed someone get like walk into a door mm. um and that noise that we make we sort of like or if you get hit in the nads that it's a very funny sound that you make that you don't often make i think yeah just i got one really quick anecdote so one of my first jobs that i worked at argos and i was on the front you know the bit where you're waiting for your item and that the person behind the, the the desk will just bag it and i was that person on in this particular moment female colleague much older quite a big girl she's very um she was a bit like um joan sims but younger that kind of personality as well anyway she she went to walk back into the warehouse door um, and the, the door was open and she just walks flat straight into it and the noise she made was just i had to go around the back um she wasn't badly hurt but it's just i think it was, it was more the noise she made and she went around the back and she was laughing about it as well but um this is why i find martin trout so funny peter cook the way he he will scream a lot in this episode he in agony and we don't mean to laugh at someone's pain but sometimes as long as there's not too much damage caused, we you can laugh about it afterwards. But yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and if they're not a nice person, it's okay to laugh. It's yeah, hundred percent. If they're if they're horrible, it's just <laughs> yeah. where he drops to his knee as well. You know, it's like it's just split oh, second. That's he right. His right knee, like, sort of. <laughs> but I, I don't know if perhaps they cut away quick because he's I don't know perhaps he went out I, of character or perhaps I, he fell back or. Um. Of course. Well, I. As ever, I refer to Richard Webber's One Foot in the Grave book, and there's a lot spoken about how much they had to cut the um, the filming down to like to the to the very second of anything that they felt didn't need to be, and they had to take out because they went mm. forty odd minutes over, even if it's just a couple of seconds after a reaction to something or the audience laughing a bit too long. So I think they just had to cut it because we already we Fine. saw what we needed to see. There's nothing yeah. more to it. <laughs> But for some yeah. reason, it just adds to it. Like, it's just so... Yeah, the scene changes so quickly. Yeah, I notice he has a, a backpack on. He's He's got... This is Martin Trout, by the way. Um, so he had time to pack his bag. I, I didn't see him have a bag at Victoria Station. Or he might have done that with shot. But he's had time to get a backpack and take it on holiday. Because if he's following them to the airport, he ain't got time to get any gear, is he? He's just got to go on foot. It's a bit like... Um, or, well, similar to 
to hurl them back where Dell and Rodney haven't got any gear, but they did ask Albert, didn't they? To yeah, somebody did. That's probably a bit different, anyway. Um, Brings his daffodil bag. That's it. Did you want me to bring you some? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, we haven't had a waffle or a chain for two days. <laughs> oh, we may as well just do Jolly Boys. Ding. Yeah, <laughs> that's for Creek. Jonathan Creek. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so at some, maybe this is the same day, but in the evening time, shall I say, where we are at Alfonso's house. Dinner time round at Alfonso's. This is played by Edward D'Souza, thankfully still with us. The ladies and Alfonso in high spirits, chuckling to themselves. Um, I think they're laughing at something Victor's done that we haven't seen. I think he scolded himself or something. I don't know what. Cuts to. I was just watching it with them. I watched it with the uh, the subtitles on Mm. because the the first bit of that line I never ever heard whenever I watched it, and I caught the second bit, which was always about the scolding sensation. Yeah, that's what I've written down. But what? what are they laughing at exactly? His reaction, like we did with Peter Trout knocking into the uh, door. What, yeah, what well, the, the line before that, it says, Victor, your non-specific urethritis is not giving you too much trouble tonight, I hope. I mean, non-specific urethritis is like an STD. So I've heard. Well, maybe that's why they were chuckling. So I've heard like that, yeah. I think yeah. it means that. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But, <laughs> No, it was. That's what I mean. I just thought that's quite a. I mean, Alfonso doesn't really know Victor, and he's already. Yeah, I, I, this is what I mean about Victor being the vi- victim. Yeah, I don't think. I I think there's, there must be a cut scene, which hasn't helped. Well, at least two of the viewers, you and I, because we can't quite worked out, worked out, work out the full context, can we? Um, yeah, well, I, that scene always baffled me, like the scolding sensation. I thought it's something they've cut that they haven't kept in, but. Yeah, like I said, we're, the subtitle it and it says non-specific urethritis. I don't know, it's I can't. Think, yeah, I think it's, it feels this feels like the episode Dreamland, where when Victor walks in on Margaret, Mrs. Warboys, and their other friends laughing at him. Um, it does. Yeah. It happens quite a lot, and he's just uh, and he kills the banana. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the 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 the, 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 the stuttering out the monkey advert with the Tetleys, was it? Yeah, I think it's one. Um, anyway, so they've had a great night. I think Victor's the butt of the joke, and it's funny because Richard Wilson's great at pulling that bemused look. Because Alfonso says to him, "The scolding sensation is gone," and Victor says, "Slightly yes." We we see the inside of Alfonso's house. He's it feels like he's giving them a bit of a tour. He's got quite a nice, quite a nice pad, really, isn't he? Um, yeah, that's really and nice. Mrs. Warboys is. Again, for the for the for the sake of the view, I think she's just saying. So, um, they never found the body then. Um, mm. So he's been with his his wife. He had been with his wife for twenty six years. The body was never found. So Jean just brings it up randomly, and Mrs. Warboys presumes. Yes, yeah, so she's she's made that assumption. Alfonso says, "I don't I don't suppose they ever will," and it brings a concerning look to Victor, which is funny because it feels like from Victor hasn't doesn't really know. He, he, he sounds like quite creepy from their point of view. They didn't find the body. No, they, they probably never will. Um, but until he says, highlights what happened to his his wife. I feel like it's something that Jean would have, she would already have known about this and she would have definitely already told Margaret and Victor because she's a gossip. And she probably did, but I think out of respect, she probably wants to make out that she doesn't gossip about him and his private life to other people he doesn't know. So he's um, yeah. telling 
he's 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 going over the the, the night that she was walking along the cliff tops, um, and he always used to warn her the dangers of walking home after you know a night out. She's a bit mm. sozzled, and he said that they found a torn piece of her dress on the driftwood, and um, I think they found her shoes, one at the top, one at the bottom in the sea. Two skin divers find an octopus holding a Gucci handbag. <laughs> it is hopeless. She is gone forever. Oh yeah, that's the brilliant that's yeah, such a great a bit, line, isn't it? So yeah, they, it's just like again it's like quite dark and they're usually like quite, talking about his death. Yeah. And then he goes, they found an octopus holding a Gucci, Gucci handbag. Hammer. Such an image, isn't it? So that's three yeah, three weeks <laughs> after the accident. Yeah, the two divers found not. <laughs> I can Im- Im- immediately um, picture that. Um, so he says three weeks' time she'd be 53. And Victor sort of acknowledges this would be just before Margaret's birthday. And he points out that her age, and she's going to be 60, just sort of rubbing it in. He doesn't yeah. mean to, but Margaret's not best pleased. That is that cliche thing that some... Uh, ladies out there do do not wish their age to be advertised and it's highlighted in this isn't it very much it is um, but again I'm, like you said victor's not malicious he's just him um, just no yeah. sort of filter that yeah you know a lady right. of that age doesn't want her age brought up. yeah no filter is the right phrase for that i think um outside of alfonso's they're they're taking some snaps um so she's they're just gazing at each other very cheesy in the background Victor's is he is this the is this the moment where he's he's trying to avoid a wasp or something or a bee? Yeah, it's the, the buzzing again. He's got to ruin every bit, and he's yeah. um I think Alfonso and Jean. Do they lean in for? They're about to go in for a kiss, and and he's I think it's the modern equivalent of cock blocking uh, because <laughs> he gets right in the way of them, not not intentionally, of course, and um yeah, it's absolutely. Soppy for one. I think it's a mosquito, isn't it, or something out there? That's that's he's trying to get away from. And Mar- Margaret, uh, the camera is clever to focus on Margaret's handful of film. Uh, she says, "Oh, I've got through another one of these things. They're not cheap, are they? For film rolls. I remember them being quite a few quid. No, they? they were. Yeah, a lot of money. We'd only have them developed if we knew that the photos on there we actually wanted. I mm. mean, for it, we, I, I can remember forever having rolls of those just lying around. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the it just wants to tell us the viewer that she's got probably one of Martin Trout's film role. So it, before that scene ends, uh, Alfonso could be heard saying to Mrs. Warboys that he's going to take them out for a day out in the, in the Algarve, bit of scuba diving. Margaret says, have you got any concrete flippers, Victor? Uh, very, very amusing. And they drive off. And as they drive off, there's a very spooky, close-up, sinister shot of Alfonso, giving us, the audience viewer, very, some doubt over this man what, what's his game is he some sort of evil murderer is he gonna hurt gene what what's what's he all about he, he remains a mystery still so far to us not complete mystery i suppose but she loves a mystery mrs all boys doesn't she we haven't we haven't built up a yeah we haven't built up a trust for this uh, alfonso yet anyway to say the least okay it's fair to say that um mrs Warboys and alf alfonso they've not they're not disappointed after 13 years of pen palling they definitely have got on like a house on fire and they're actually gushing aren't they the mrs wall boys and margaret about alfonso their situation that they just it just went really well and um she says he must have really loved his wife but victor does cast some doubt 
in a very Bing. Jonathan Creek way. Very Jonathan Creek-esque, isn't it? Because he says... Did you think so? What do you mean? Just thought it was a bit odd, that's all. Showed us around every room. There wasn't a single photograph of her in the house. And yeah. both both the ladies, they sort of... They don't say anything, they're a bit despondent, but they, you can tell they're probably thinking, oh, shit, yeah. That yeah, is weird. Why, why, why you would have something on that? And the only defence I could have at this moment in time is maybe he felt like he was going to fall for Jean and didn't want to put her off by having photos of his ex. Not that she's an ex in that way. She's, he's he's a widow. He thinks he's a widow. But, yeah, it's definitely weird. And um, it's strange because usually when Victor is a bit negative or, or he's untrusting or something, Margaret might snap at him. But she doesn't, yeah. does she? She just she doesn't say anything. She's. I think it's such a valid point. And I think he's just... Yeah. He's, quite switched on and then they're both thinking oh yeah it is really weird yeah yeah you'd um, have one photo wouldn't you at least i know i, I think yeah it's very strange unless i mean they i can only assume they've been in his living room dining room they haven't been in every room so he might have something somewhere but yeah anyway very bizarre so later on in, into the into the evening we see uh trout on the phone updating i think his boss the, the editor and he just says he suspects it's in a it's in a ram bag. Listen, you get that front page ready for Sunday, and you better wear asbestos gloves because these pictures are hot. He added in that line about asbestos gloves. I think Roma could just written, "You better protect your hands because these pictures are hot," or something blander than that. So it's yeah. quite good that Peter Cook added that in himself. So yeah, yeah. He's, he he is actually at the Meldrews abode. And uh, what's he doing wasting time on the phone, you know? Um, yeah. He's he's wading through their belongings and sifting through all sorts, uh, all, the, all the drawers. And the other three arrive home. And, of course, he he's uh, he has to put everything away uh, quickly and, and hide. Mrs. Warboy's Victor of Arca, they walk into the villa. You know when like you want you want someone around you to, to reassure you that you did well <laughs> at something? And in this case, yeah. Margaret, um, sorry, Jean wants the reassurance that she made a good impression. And so she sort of passively says, I must have been a big disappointment. And Victor says, Yes, I expect so. What's that supposed to mean? So yeah, he lines. agrees with it, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and Margaret sort of looks at him and she. <laughs> yeah. I don't go to where, bed. Where, I think he's just tired. I think um, he might still say that actually if he was if he was on form. I think he would still probably say that sarcastically. He gets more and more rude to Gene throughout the series. I think in the early days he would remain polite, but he's less um, tolerant of her as as time goes on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're all, they're all heading up to bed basically, and Mrs. Warboy's like for her own words says, "I feel like a." silly schoolgirl. Victor, he's walking up the stairs and he says, oh, my skin's gone all dry. I'll have to put something on my face. And Margaret says, try a pillow. <laughs> she always she always like, bites in with that, doesn't she? Like, it's quite savage, yeah. Anything to do with killing himself. like <laughs> Concrete uh, flippers. Concrete and things, yeah, yeah. Um, put a pillow on your face. I, I think it's a bit of anger there. Yeah. I th- didn't she call up to Victor or Jean about uh, minding out for the, ma- the mouse trap? Um, yeah, that's a bit. Was, yeah, and of course we hear the the trap go off, and and Trout has stood in it, and he's got, I think this is the first, second, third, third thing that's happened to him. We have to keep count now. We have to keep a tally chart. Where yeah, he has got to keep in that screen like oh, and he's Peter Cook does a great face of facial expression of one of 
um, pain. He's like sweating. Oh, he looks and looks awful. He's sweating and I bloated. And, and oh. um, anyway, so he hides in the upstairs. Well, there's a, a wardrobe on the landing, isn't there? And yeah. eventually Mrs. Warboys shuts it. She just sees it ajar and she, for some stupid reason, locks it. I don't know why. You Obviously, we know why for the storyline, but I, in real yeah. life, I feel like I just ignore it. But I think his, she, she pushes it and then it opens again. And I think she oh, does that, okay. it. Okay. And so she locked it to stop it from opening, which is quite clever because yeah. why else would she? You know, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really take that in at the time. I love the groan he makes. Sorry, Mr. Meldrew. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, it's, it's very Basil Forty. That you know, Basil Forty makes that sort of moan and groan when things aren't going his way. They that just also hide it. Do you remember the one he's also hiding in the wardrobe? That's yeah, Basil yeah, we'll hold it with a finger. With a finger, yeah, yeah. That's um. I tell you what, um, on Twitter, did you see me, Glenn, who's going to be on an episode soon? Um, he pointed out something. So the episode, I think, pointed out that in the background you can see someone off camera holding with a finger like sh- the wardrobe shut oh i did and, yeah and yeah. It, it instantly i was thinking of um yeah Faulty towers with the australian bird where a bit yeah bad, but he, basil just couldn't leave her alone and um <laughs> not, not on it, what basil was doing for that episode it wasn't his fault but he was still bringing on himself i just kept going in there didn't he the Psycho- Psycho- that's yeah <laughs> The psychiatrist, I think it was that episode. Anyway, sorry, deviating. So the next morning, uh, we uh, we see the Meldrews and Jean getting ready for a day out at the beach. Can't go on holiday without heading to the beach, is what I say. They're all in good spirits. So Jean, it's the morning after the night before where Jean's had her successful dinner date. I'll be accompanied by Victor and Margaret. And Victor is looking probably the coolest I've ever seen. Well, here he comes, the silver surfer. With his green T-shirt. Bermuda shorts, baseball cap, sunglasses, looking quite hip, isn't he? He's definitely coordinating with the uh, the two different tones of green. Yeah, brings a, a short, uh, swift laughter from the uh, the audience, it seems. But see, he's ready to go. Have you been to the Algarve before? No, I haven't, no. Um, most parts of Spain, but not, not the Algarve. It depends on your taste, but the best beaches, Golden Sands, they've got the beautiful coves, the sea is, if you get the right time of the year, is clear, warm with waves. It's just got every, it ticks every box for me. I like waves. It's got to be um, a sandy bottom, so you're not that's, that's, um, the the bed of the ocean or the, that part of the coast. Sorry, it's just sand, so it's nice and soft on your feet. It's just perfect. It yeah. is beautiful. They, as they leave, uh, back inside the Meldrews villa, Mr. Trout is of course in the wardrobe at the top of the landing. I guess he's been a patient man, hasn't he? Because he's had to endure, God, what, seven or eight hours in there? That is yeah, something... That's, that's put your back out, wouldn't it? That, that amount of time in a, in a wardrobe. It's... Yeah, I mean, in that time, you, you're going to be thirsty, need the toilet. Um, you know, you could just give the game up, but you are going to... I mean, he doesn't know the Meldrews or Mrs. Warboys, but for all, he know, for all he knows, they would call the police and get him arrested, yeah. but I reckon he could scarper. I think Mar- he would know that Margaret would rec- and Victor would recognise him, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, what, I mean, definitely what, dedicated for getting this, uh, this role of film. What would you, uh, what could you possibly do that he hasn't thought of? 
Would you approach it? I would try and kick that down. So he's about to, he's rocking it back and forward or side to side even. And he must know that the only result is going to be him falling from the top of the staircase to the bottom. He's going to have a nasty, sharp, solid landing, isn't he? But I don't know what else you could do. I mean, I feel like that lock is pathetic. You could really smash that in with with plenty of brute force, couldn't you? It looks quite flimsy, doesn't it? I, th- I suppose if he could, if he had a light or something, he could try and force the. the yeah, lock, but I just you, feel like wake, wake up the whole house, wouldn't you? Yeah, but now he, he, I we assume he knows that they've got headed out somewhere. So, what what what's the problem with just smashing it open? Like, I don't know. Yeah, put your foot to it. <laughs> if you smash it open, you've got a chance you can just close it again. Whereas what he does is, and it's you know, it's what is, is it the second prank that's happened to him now oh yeah so the, least bar. <laughs> the door of the lorry smash him in the face falling uh, from the tree i suppose as well falling, okay so it's, like, so it's the third thing and yeah he falls down yeah he success, successfully pushes the wardrobe over the banister or through the middle of the banister and that is a, a nasty old a nasty old fall i love that bit because it, re- it reminds me of the italian job We've seen it at the end. No, the, 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 I haven't it's, seen um, that. It's a classic. It's a long coach. Yeah, it's a long coach. And it's balancing on the edge of um of a cliff. I think it's in the Swiss Alps. And then um, at the end, it's sort of rocking back and forth. And yeah. the side shot they do with the wardrobe sort of reminds me of that. Well, okay. Yeah, I I feel like that's a lot more effort for him to, to do it the way he did rather than just smashing it open. Yeah, I know he hasn't got exactly got a run up being in there. I feel yeah. like you really could, with enough panic and adrenaline, force that open. Throw his weight against it. And... Then Meldrews never reference why the bleeding hell this wardrobe's falling to the floor, have they? For the rest yeah, of the episode. That's point. Yeah, they, they don't I always thought, to that. what must they? It could have been cut from the shooting. I don't know. what. I feel like they would know that the house is such a uh, trap for things to go wrong. That they just they wouldn't be surprised. They would be a bit horrified, but they wouldn't think a burglar's been in there. Because why would yeah. a burglar go in there in the wardrobe yeah. and then push it over? I don't know. It's too bizarre for words, isn't it? From the outside, it wouldn't look like there's anything we're stealing from that place. That's very true. <laughs> very true. We are now at the glorious beach. The beach, this part of the beach I searched high and low for when I went up the Algarve in 2013. I even asked the uh, the receptionist of the hotel I stayed in that she must have thought I was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why I, I thought she would have heard of One Foot in the Grave. British sitcom filmed here in about 93. Do you recall? No, she just had no idea. But I was just trying to find the very location they filmed that. And of course, when he walked down this particular beach, and like the Algarve isn't exactly the size of Western Supermare, it goes on for miles and miles, as you as you'd imagine. Every part looks like it could have been where they filmed, to be honest with you. Is there um, a little, like an alcove, you know, with the, the donkey stood? I wonder yeah. if that's, that's quite sort of distinctive, but I don't know I if think that. I found several. <laughs> I found what I assumed to be a handful of coves. And I also remember there's a car park at the top, isn't there, which they call yeah, the steps, it. but I never could quite see a car park. So that must have been a totally different filming location. Yeah, chance I just wasn't in the right spot, and that's yeah. when I read the Richard Webber book on that holiday seven or eight years ago. Now, perfect place to read it, 
actually, because that was my reading material for the holiday. Sorry, off, um, going off on a tangent as ever. So, of course, like you said, the donkey is spotted by Victor. He just won't stop following him. It's, not, it's a recurring joke. It's very funny. Margaret's taken in her surroundings, and the, her insecurities start to come to light now, don't they? Because she, of course, thinks mm. that 60 is ancient. And seeing all these attractive young ladies around, especially with the boobs out, makes her mm. feel a little insecure. I think yeah. it's the... Um... Is that, um, what did we decide? It was like a clarinet or a trumpet the other day, wasn't it? That sort of creepy, yeah. sombre music that it yeah. makes you think quite a bit. And, yeah, it, works. Uh, it fits perfectly well, doesn't it? Mm. It really fits perfectly well. Um, anyway, in, in the midst of her sort of think, feeling sorry for herself, this sweet little girl comes up to Margaret wanting to play sort of wait, waitress and I can't, like the like little kids do with plastic cups and saucers and and she is quite sweet really that she joins in and, and gets Victor to join and he's a little bit distracted isn't he which is quite funny not quite aware, aware of his surroundings as she goes Victor and yeah. it's quite sweet really like you know all these little things could remind them of the fact that they lost a child but they still go yeah. along, you know it's I love that sort of they got that relationship with Victor needs Margaret to sort of wake him up about things like yeah you know, humour the child. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just oblivious to it, and he's just... Yeah. Yeah, he... Um, I remember when he was asked in Series 1 to look after the, the two the two <laughs> young boys, and he tied them up in the garage. But he's a slightly different victor in this episode with that. With that. But this this little girl, it will set, set up a little gag later on of why she's coming over to offer them pretend food. And she she um, heads off the little girl, and then there's two ladies, two young girls. I don't know how old they're in their twenties, running away from this um, chap, uh, played by Craig Ferguson, quite a well-known Scottish actor, isn't he? Yeah, oh, I recognised him. I've always recognised him, and and uh, yeah, he's he's chasing these his two two birds. Very yeah, cocky, I, I... And arrogant guy, isn't he? Very, I, th- I think I saw it about five or six times before I realised who it was. Because yeah. I think he's a is he a talk show host as well now, in America. Yeah, he's he's co he co wrote Doc Martin to my surprise. I thought that was just Martin Clunes oh, really? wrote that, but he co wrote it and uh, did just for laughs. Yeah, the, the sketch show on BBC, which is quite good. Yeah, a few things, but um, anyway, he's he's running past. They run past Victor and Margaret, and he's chucking sand at them, and he runs right over Victor's and Margaret's. Um, like picnic uh, blankets or whatever they're called and totally on on the side with Victor here Margaret of course lets it go because she knows better than just to you know confront sort of yeah. younger arrogant people who are just gonna wind you up but Victor can't let it go although you can understand his uh, annoyance he's definitely justified if someone throws that amount of sand across <laughs> oh, yeah yeah he, he just tries to intimidate and wind up Victor and purposely spills some sun lotion on his leg which is a total arsehole thing to do i mean it's environment fluid yeah. <laughs> um, victor's like look at that what am i supposed to do with that i thought like, I, th- I thought we'll just rub it in but he has to, he feels he has to go to the sea to wash it off but yeah. i'd just rub it in wouldn't you i don't know i think it's because he's covered in sand as well i think it's a bit like yeah. a pebble dash i think he's a but again i like how victor will stand up to anyone yeah, yeah, hats off to he, him. He doesn't I, care, does he? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, hats off to him. Especially like some guy who looks about 25, 30, 
relatively good yeah. shape and a bit overconfident. I just think I want to scream in your face, but mm. if this goes down the path where I've got to fight you, <laughs> I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, the Scottish chap, he seems to find it all funny and he's not too, he's not aggressive with it at this moment. We'll, we'll see a little bit more from the Glaswegian. He's down as Glaswegian, by the way, on IMDb. He hasn't got a character name because he's in it for all of a few seconds. As Victor goes to the sea, Margaret is reading some mag. I think she's magazine. That is. She's looking at various adverts, and I think it just there's probably some sexualized adverts in there, like I don't whatever. And it yet yeah, reminds her more of um, a lack of sex life and the fact she's getting old. And that's where she looks in her mirror to do a makeup and she can see first of all it's a close-up of her eyes they do look quite aging don't they and she's probably just thinking i am getting old then she sees the nude topless um girls from behind her um a lot of people point out you can't see those women behind her there's a bit of a continuity error of filming you can't see anyone in her yeah. directly behind or to, or to her left or right behind it's, it's a bit of a you don't really notice it until someone points it out to you yeah that's true Anyway, so then she, when she sees, I think seeing the, the boob is the final nail in the coffin and she wants to go off for a walk. So she goes up to Victor and says, it's too hot for her. She's, she's heading off for a bit. And as she walks up to Victor, what's happening now? You've got the, um, what are they calling him? The Glaswegian. Glaswegian. <laughs> yeah, he sort of comes out of nowhere with a, with a Sharpie or, you know, a black marker pen. And yeah. I don't know why he's got that at the beach, by the way. I thought that, yeah. I made that note. Why have you got this thick, massive mark on you? Unless he's some street artist or something, I don't know. Yeah, he's a type of artist, I think. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, then he, he uh, picks up Victor's bright green T-shirt and I think it cuts to uh, Victor and Margaret then. Yeah, that's, yeah. Then it cuts to Vic, Mar- Victor, sorry. Then it cuts to Margaret saying she's gone off for a walk. Did you notice when she was, when Margaret said to Victor, It's too hot for me here. I think I'll go for a walk. It's the lack of dubbing. Like, they're not, really speaking the lines it's just because there's obviously no microphone so it's obviously i think it's dubbed over i know i'm no um audio editor expert but you you look at margaret's lips i mean again if you're just casually watching this you don't pick this up but when you're dissecting an episode like we do you just think oh that doesn't quite um look right yeah you do notice a lot a lot more detail than you do things Mm. like this because i was just looking at trying to see what book she was reading yeah but um, i can't quite see it but no you are right she doesn't I think Margaret's mouth moves, but uh, but it is quite bad, not badly, you know, dubbed mm. over. It's definitely dubbed. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, the the neighbours opposite Victor and Margaret and Jean, Hugo, Shirley, and the dad, Humphrey, enter the beachside. Dad is still sort of pep-talking his uninterested son on boxing motivation and still putting him down. And he was saying that if... <laughs> If they ever manage to get him a sponsor, they must put the branding on the bottom of his shoe, as that's the only angle you can see him from. So it was a clever little line. That's a good a funny line. Funny gag. Yeah. And Hugo <laughs> just won't let it get to him, and his dad just won't let it go. Got got to admit, it's like that would be annoying. You just try and enjoy your holiday. It's not a training holiday. It's a holiday of your family and your your trainer. Your dad is just on at you twenty four seven. But he's doing well to just let it let it go. Yeah, that's right. He's so, trying to sort of relax, but his dad is just he's not having any of it. Yeah. He's trying to fire him up. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of a payoff with two things. So the little girl, in the meantime, has come up to Victor now with the pretend food, and he continues to sip the soup. Very sweet. Victor's getting involved whilst the girl runs off again. And I think it's Hugo 
the boxer spots two things. First of all, he spots Victor pretending to eat this food. It's, it's, it's another Patrick moment where he doesn't see the full story. He thinks, who's this bonkers bloke who lives opposite me eating, eating a plastic bowl of nothing? Secondly, <laughs> Victor's got his T-shirt, his green T-shirt on, and it's we can see what the Glaswegian's written on the back, which is when I see this, I'll go ape shit. It's very neat handwriting, isn't it? Very quick. I was going to say, yeah, that's very neat, isn't it? And he's yeah. put um, a little uh, hyphen between ape and shit. So yeah, <laughs> the good grammar. grammar. The grammar is spot on for this for this prank. That all that tells, well, that just gives Hugo a chance to, to see how weird his neighbour is because they do recognise him, don't they? Am I going mad? They, you know, when Vic's are shouting out of the villa when they think that they're in a prison, he wouldn't That's have seen his way. face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they haven't been introduced, have they? The Meldrews and. The boxer family. I don't think they have, not, have they? Not yet. No, they, not, they not, probably not pass each point. other. Yeah, because mm. obviously they will meet later. Anyway, Victor is now in the scene. It's a, I think it, the scene cuts like it's later on in the afternoon, and mm. Victor's got his top back off, so he hasn't he hasn't yet sp- um, spotted the graffiti, has he? No, no, we'll see. Who interrupts Victor as he's going for a uh, little pal? It's a, a lady called. Mm. The one who he um, nearly killed with his aftershave earlier, <laughs> <laughs> after he saved her life. Yeah, she did well to to. Um, I don't think she was going away to find him. Was she just passing? I th- yeah, I think it's sort of like a chance pass. Yeah. I think she strolled along the beach, and, and Victor's quite distinct. I think he's you know yeah. you, you'd recognise Victor when you're in yeah. Alcohol, <laughs> yeah, with his uh, his lime green attire. Yeah. So anyway, she offers Victor a drink, really, just to say thanks, and Victor obliges. And you're thinking, oh, that's going to go down well with Margaret if, if she oh. finds that out. He's, he, he doesn't really read these situations well. It's only a polite drink, but when you've got a wife... He's, it's like you were saying, he does well with the ladies, doesn't he? They're he not, does, yeah. I not should, averse I, to him, are they? <laughs> I should say, when you've got a wife who's approaching 60, who's feeling vulnerable about it, yeah. you might just want to think twice about going for a drink with a, with a woman sort of 20 years younger, you know, as alone. Again, I think that scene... It cuts again, doesn't it? To this time, Margaret is now back um, along the beach. I don't know how long, how many hours this is later. But I think Victor at this point has discovered, has he discovered the graffiti on his T-shirt? Yeah, as, as Margaret's walking across, he's sort of trying to straighten out the, the back of it and he's doing his, look at this. Look at that. Know, sort of it. Yeah. <laughs> a little reveal to the audience and Margaret. He's got a, a lipstick type print on his forehead, which he obviously doesn't yeah. have any idea it's there. <laughs> That um, is only going to serve him no end of hassle from Margaret. Um, what's the line if she comes out with for that? Oh, yeah. Um, says, oh, I ran into Isabella. I think she says, head first, evidently. Yeah, <laughs> very quick. And she strops off to wait for him by the car. Victor's just blissfully unaware of what he's done, you know. Oh, um, sorry, there's another bit to that. She says, what did she have stuck in her throat this time? Your tongue? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Very quick from Margaret, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> they're now on the top of the, the cliffs. With the, the so it's, it's kind of an unofficial car park. It looks like, and it's like a Land Rover in there, like a four by four Land Rover, who's rubbing into Victor that he's got one up on him, and it's yeah. quite a funny foreground visual of Victor. He's got he's got his picnic. It's like a picnic blanket. It's like a wicker picnic blanket, isn't it? In his hand, it's sort of pointing at the car, saying, "Just try that again, mate." And yeah. of course, the car stops. And reverse it straight into his vehicle. We, it's just absolutely brutal. I mean, that's what you get sometimes if you stand up for yourself. Yeah, it's he, doesn't, a bit he doesn't. 
apart from a bit of pride, it's not got them anywhere. And that's probably a higher, that one. Well, in fact, there will be a higher car. So, yeah. Lord knows how much that's going to cost them on the insurance. Arsenal of the episode is definitely Glaswegian. And we have yeah, that's got massive that overkill and it reversing into someone's car. <laughs> just aggressive banter. I mean, isn't he's it? already defaced his t shirt, you know. Yeah. He's already up on the, up on the situation, but. Just a just a bully, and he just flicking the lotion on Victor and trying to make a fool. Again, Victor's always the well, not always, but most of the time he's a victim, isn't he? He's mm. he's the one suffering. Yeah, um, I think this might be the same day, or may, um, it's outside their villa. And Mrs. Warboy's apparently been golfing, gushing over Alfonso's swing, saying it's like poetry, poetry in motion. They're clever to reference the the film. That they have, or the like, the films put in their camera. So she's she's finished another roll of film, and and apparently Margaret says she forgot to get the um film processed. It's funny, like, to do that on holiday when you want to just surely do that when you get home. So you got something to look back on. I discussed that with Lucy on warm in warm champagne, where I think they got their photos processed on holiday. Yeah, so that's the one thing you want to look back on is to get the photos when you get back home don't you because again i don't see the point getting your photos done on holiday because you're living in the moment yeah it's enjoying yourself i mean and it i'd imagine it'd be more expensive wouldn't it yeah yeah i yeah. abroad mrs Warboy. i think she's like taking the mick out of herself but she says she's only got three hours to get ready because they're going out yeah. to, <laughs> i think alphonse is hosting another dinner party margaret quite down in the dumps isn't she now well and truly she doesn't want yeah. to go to this this evening meal, which I um, thought was a little bit. I mean, they're they're there for two weeks, so she did have to go every every night. But before they go to this meal, Mrs. Warboys is asking Margaret, "Do you definitely not want to come for a drive into the mountains for you know for a nice meal?" So they're not going to his house. I think they're going out to eat, aren't they? Yeah, I think they go to a, a restaurant, like you said, somewhere in the mountains. Yeah, but yeah, Margaret is just you know not not having any, any of it. What's Mrs. Warboys gassing on about? With regards to Brits do it better than the Americans, I think. So and she says, apart from Colombo, I know Renwick loves yeah. Colombo, doesn't he? Well, that's one of his <laughs> things, isn't it? Yeah, I think she's talk- again insensitive. She's talking about detective shows and sort of murder mysteries to a man whose whose wife disappeared, yeah. you know, under strange. Yeah. So again, she's just oblivious to anyone's feeling. Right. Yeah, she's saying about the Poirots and Miss Marples, and we do them much better than the Americans. But yeah, I, I like the, the joke about Colombo. The joke about Colombo, and she mentions about the man with one arm, um, went out with some woman from Do It All. Oh, whatever happened to Do It All? And um, that's another one man, one arm, sorry, that's another one arm story, like in Beast in the Cage and Tricks on the Roof, where she had a, she knew someone who had an arm in a cast and he took the cast off and the arm went there. Just, it felt like that was a, a mini throwback to that previous gag. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And she talks about how she admires the way that they give all the they get all the period detail right, you know, com- mm-hmm. compared to the seventies. And then Victor sort of wising her up a bit, saying, "Well, they were made in the 70s. So, so we're at the restaurant now, aren't we? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's that is a very funny little uh, point <laughs> that Victor's made, isn't he? And um, and also about the one arm joke thing. Sorry, because that I thought that was the previous scene. The one arm joke comment was well, not a joke. Um, also comes from, I think how they change how they change the light bulb because you can't change. Can't change yeah, if you've got one arm. If you, you can, if you keep the receipt. Which I thought 
<laughs> and she didn't she wasn't joking that she's just a little bit sozzled, isn't she, at this point? She's not quite getting it. Yeah, Victor's sort of rolling his eyes when you're drunk before we can bring the food out. Exactly, yeah. Mrs. Smallboys has dropped herself further into oblivion here because she starts to recount a story about a woman who's been drowned and buried in the garden. Yeah. And she's just gone missing. So it feels like a, a little foreshadowing of what we're going to find out anyway. Alfonso's looking more and more sort of half serious, half cross, and he snaps. For God's sake, we stop this! He immediately apologises, but he's quite upset. And Mrs. Warboys instantly realises that she's opened a big gob. And it kind of ends their night, doesn't it? Like, almost prematurely. It, the scene certainly ends where it's sort of like right in the middle of the, middle of the night now, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's it. So Victor's driving. He Why did the Victor have to go? Um, I don't know. He's a bit of a third wheel, I suppose. But unless it was to drive Mrs. Warboys. But then, you know, he's knocking back the wine. So I'd imagine they've just got a, a taxi or a lift. But... Because I yeah, get I think... why I get why when she when Jean first met Alfonso, why you'd want Victor and Margaret there, but th- she's been on her own with him all day golfing. So why does yeah, Victor go to the restaurant? I don't get that. He doesn't need to be a chaperone. No, you know, to sort of look after her. But yeah, she's got a few quid. Point. She can get a taxi. I don't. I don't understand that. Unless Margaret just told him to go and wanted a evening to herself, just to. Yeah, probably. That could be it, yeah. He's not exactly a, a biggest fan at the moment. No, no, that's true. Well, Mrs. Warboys is more squiffy than ever in the car, just a little bit flirty. She's sort of flirty drunk, you know, she doesn't really know what she's saying. But it, the night did actually end, actually, just to backtrack a bit, it didn't end prematurely in the sense it was, it was a, the scene ends quite prematurely, but they clearly kiss her made up because she's in a good place, sorry. Then it goes back into the car. Does Alfonso go back in... Do they, do they go back to his house after the restaurant? Uh, yeah, I think just, yeah the, uh, Victor's driving by the looks. Oh, so they, so, so they do... Oh, that's they, it. Yeah, so they do go back to his house. Yeah. Victor's now waiting in the car. Jean can't really put Alfonso down. She kind of wants to stay with him, doesn't she? But anyway, she, he collects Jean and as as they drive off Alfonso is sort of waving goodbye and he, he heads back in actually before he heads back in a very sinister almost a sinister yeah, look it, on his face isn't there yeah like, I think you said that before he, he's brilliant because he's got like this he looks genuine sometimes and the slight turn of an eye and he looks like yeah. a serial killer yeah <laughs> you know he's, he's, he's got that sort of he's, he's really acted well it's it's more sinisterness sinisterism I can't think of the word eerie music's being played as he walks back in side and he he goes to um i think what margaret sorry what gina said about the story she recounted of the woman drowning and stuff i think it's triggered memories for him and he's gone back into the cellar yeah and it's a dark a massive old wine cellar and he goes to his drawer um it's like a cabinet drawer and we're yeah. wondering what he's getting out just a pair of shoes isn't it yeah a pair of sort of battered old shoes he's wrapped yeah. in there i tell her like he, he he's not in the cellar yet. He got he's got he got the key from the cracked floor tile. So for some reason he kept the shoes in a cloth in a cabinet. Perhaps he just gets them out a lot quite often, and he's, yeah. he's a bit like like how still he is. I think they're trying to do a bit of a Hannibal Lecter sort of. Yeah. Like when he walks, he's really still walking and quite yeah. um not what's the word like horror like in it. Mm, but yeah, like you said, sinister. It's quite. He's definitely he's definitely in that wine cellar now, and we just don't know what he's up playing at. He's the music doesn't help. It's quite freaky, and then we get the reveal of this big keg, and you're thinking, 
what's he got in there? It's building the story up a bit, isn't it? It's because we're unsure about Alfonso at this point. When he looks at the the keg, he sort of winces and well, it ran through my mind then. That's that's big enough to put a body in. Yeah. So you do sort of wonder, is she in it? Well, yeah, and plus Victor pointed out in an earlier scene, you know, did you think she, he loved her? Because there's not one photograph of her in the house. So yeah. we as the audience, when you're watching this for the first time, are doubting, what's this man up to? And because Jean seems to attract bad luck as well, you're thinking you wouldn't be surprised if she started to date a psychopath. Anyway, so Victor, he's driving Jean home. She is a bit silly, isn't she? She's... Uh, all over the place, and Victor feels he just has to stop for a for a slash. Yeah, um, she's pretty gushy over Victor. She thinks in her drunken state, Victor's um, Alfonso, as you do when you're that sozzled. <laughs> I think as Victor goes for a a pee out of shot, and this is the thing where where it goes wrong for Victor because he he can see a car from the distance, the headlights from like probably like a quarter of a mile away. So he he walks away from the car, be out of sight, and as he walks away, the there's a the car stops off and they're, they're, I think they're a couple of coast guards, aren't they? And the, <laughs> the funniest sight you can see where it looks like Victor's car has just crashed off, off road, the way he's parked it. You see Mrs. Walboy's head sort of head leaning forward against the window as if it looks like there's been a car crash. So that the coast guards think they've been awfully helpful right now. Especially with a car that's been bashed in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing. That's, yeah. Yeah. That, that's why you did it then. Yeah, that it, again, it all ties up neatly, doesn't it? Why Renwick wrote that Glaswegian again? Because it wouldn't make sense if if someone sort of pulled up, saw Mrs. Warboy slumped in the car. Yeah, they they probably think she's either drink driving or someone stopped, or you know, well, because the car's actually smashed in. You think straight yeah. away it's, it's, it's crashed. Well, of course, the car had to be smashed to look like it had been an accident, and Mrs. Warboy's had to be that drunk because she's now clever. passed out. So it's really clever. It's, it's the joke works brilliantly. She's absolutely pissed, isn't she? Yeah, she's comatose. <laughs> so they take Jean off into the into the car, and and the car drives off as as she's dragged away. Of course, this is very important to know that one of her heels shoes come off, and one falls off the cliff. One is just outside of the car. I think a bit of her skirt rips off or something. So it's mimicking yeah. exactly what happened to Alfonso's late wife. Maria, which is just remarkable. Victor, seconds later, comes back to see that he thinks the worst has happened. Well, you you would, wouldn't you? Because yeah. the door's open and he's just probably letting out all sorts of uh, emotions towards Jean because for all these years he's known her, he's probably held back and he's just going, you stupid, stupid, woman, why could you think? Oh, my God! He's <laughs> panicking, isn't he? Especially it's like recreating what? you know, happened with Alfonso's wife and and then of all the people to rock up to help. Yeah, the boxing family, Hugo, Shirley and Humphrey. Um and it's you do feel for Victor, you think, oh my God. Cause it out of, we always debate, don't we, like what's Victor's fault, what's not his fault. This is a bit it's not his fault someone's driven at past at the wrong time just as he's got out for a wee, because if he was there, of course, he'd be able to say, look, she's fine. It's his fault that he, well, I don't know. Is it his fault? <laughs> I'm debating. <laughs> well, should have locked her in, at least. Yeah, he should have all not gone so far, I think, to, to have a mm. pee. Um, but yeah. In yeah, his mind. a bit of a grey area. 
yeah, in his mind, I don't know if he's thinking. I know Margaret might have something to say about it later. Definitely but, is fault to Margaret in Margaret's yeah, eyes. Yeah, because <laughs> she is just hating on Victor, isn't she? Shirley and Hugo call out and offer some help. And Victor's just saying, well, I think if my friend has just fallen. I think he's, she's jumped off this cliff or fallen off the cliff. Hugo is playing a superhero, isn't he? So yeah. brave. He, he calls out to Shirley to call the Coast Guard. And he strips off and he, he goes further down the cliff just to find a point so he can jump off. Victor... <laughs> He, Victor's just sort of overseeing this and yeah, Hugo just proper dives in. I don't know if that's a stuntman or the actor. Incredible dive. Tom Daly stuff. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was a bit mesmerised by his tighty whities <laughs> Tighty whities and he got immaculate body in he? It's just like, blimey. Yeah. Heroic thing to do, really. Um, Very. Uh, I don't think many of us would, would, would do that unless it was your own, like your own child or family member you you would do something. I don't know if you'd jump off the cliff, but you'd get down there as quickly as you, quickly as you could. Especially when Hugo's only experience of Victor is seeing him <laughs> eating off a plastic plate. Yeah. You know, exactly. Invisible food. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. Perhaps you should have questioned that first. I think so. <laughs> I think so. But I feel like if, if I jump off that height, if my child was in the sea, I think most, if we were physically able, you would... Yeah, but if it was a mate, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm prioritising. I would always you know, <laughs> family. You like, but if it was just a stranger, you'd you'd certainly do what you could to help. Would you jump? I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. You, ju- would you jump in there for Mrs. Warboys? <laughs> would I jump in for Mrs. Warboys? I don't know. Like maybe I don't know if she was my gran or my auntie. Uh, yeah, Victor, well, Victor clearly didn't. But you just don't think to do because. The fear no. kicks into you in the moment that this is a cliff top and it's, it's all dark. I can hardly see. I don't know if there's rocks at the bottom of that. I don't know if it's a shallow part of the sea, but I think we're going to reach the halfway point now of this podcast. So we've left things on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Haven't used that one before, have I? <laughs> um, good one. So I think that's a good place to stop. Do you agree? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, good uh, cliffhanger, like you said. So uh, just to summarise where we're at now. So all in all, Margaret's not having the best holiday. Age has caught up with her. Mrs. Warboys, as the audience are aware, that she's she's uh, pretty quite safe and sound, hopefully safe anyway. And Victor thinks he's probably indirectly killed his uh, friend. There's not much else. Oh, and of course, Martin Trout is on the hunt for the role of film. So lots more to, to talk about next week for part two. So thank you very much for listening and keeping with us. I'm sure the next one will be just as long. So hopefully you've got a long drive somewhere and you can kill time or walking your dog you can uh, plenty of opportunities to listen to this this lengthy two-parter remember you can email the podcast at one foot in the pod uh, facebook victor mildrew what else have i got twitter Insta. oh i've got an instagram now please follow one foot in the pod on instagram three followers i think it is as i record this the reason why i got the instagram is just to hunt some new listeners because um, I feel like there's lots of grumps out there that are yet to discover the podcast, so hopefully. But um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Darren. Take good care, and we'll be back next week. Oh, I'm in the grave.